0: Hello, and welcome to episode 87 of the So Video Games Podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we're playing it, we'll be talking about it. Today, we are recording on June 25th, 2018. My name is Corey Motley. I am a staff writer at GameCritics.com, despite the fact that I haven't written anything there in a long time. Um, I'm also 50% of the show. Joining me, as always, who's chuckling in the background, is Brad Galloway. He's the editor of Game Critics. How are you, Brad?
1: I am doing well, and I'm glad you brought that up, because your quota is way past due, kid. We got to get you back, <laughs> back in the bullpen writing us some articles.
0: <laughs> well, you know, if some publishers would actually send me the correct DLC for their oh, games, I'd be able to write some stuff for the oh, site. How about that? Oh, shit. <laughs> Corey's laying it down. We'll talk about that, I'm
1: Sure. We
0: will talk about that soon. But uh, how are you, Brad? How are you doing?
1: I'm I'm excellent. I am glad uh, that we are recording. Very much looking forward to the show. Glad that we are going to be able to get back in a schedule pretty soon, uh, starting probably right now. And <laughs> I'm I'm good to go, man. I
0: can't wait to talk about some shit. Good. Me too. Me too. Let's. Uh, we don't have any housekeeping notes, believe it or not, this week. Uh, nothing special to talk about at the top of the show. Covered E3 last week. Everything, we're starting fresh uh, with, well, I mean, not really with new games, but with some new games. Um, but yeah, no housekeeping, nothing, nothing special. So let's just jump into the games talk. Brad, I am shocked to tell you that I have actually heard of the game that you're about to talk about, and I almost bought it on a PSN sale recently, but I did not, and I'm interested to hear what you have to say about it. So let's talk about... Oh, God, I don't even want to say this title out loud. The Infectious Madness of Dr. Decker.
1: I'm utterly surprised you've heard of this game because I'm usually pretty good at surprising you. I always uh, went by these titles where you're like, I have not heard of it. But you've heard of this one. So what, what caught your eye? How did you hear about this? It was on sale. I get that. But what drew your attention to it?
0: I can't remember. Maybe it was the ludicrous title but i was looking through games on the psn and i saw the title and i can't i can't remember what the like the graphic of the game looks like on the psn store if that caught my eye or if the title alone was kind of absurd so it caught my eye and i remember clicking on it and looking at it and correct me if i'm wrong but this is like the psychology like fmv like okay And I remember looking at it and I like looked at some screenshots and I was like, oh, I was like, this is one of those games where you like, it's like real life actors playing the game. And I remember looking through it and just being kind of like, "Uh, you know, like I, I kind of want to play one of these games, but I don't know if this is the right like entry level for it because we had talked about... I mean, you and I have talked about several of those kind of games that have been kind of having a renaissance on the PS4 lately, and, uh, and I just didn't, this one didn't seem to be right for me, so I just kind of backed away and uh, kept scrolling down the list, but I'm interested to hear about it. So let's
1: talk about it. Um, you are correct in saying that FMV, which is full motion video, uh, has been kind of making a little bit of a mini renaissance, and for those people who don't know, and honestly, I guess it, it's very possible that a lot of people might not know because these games were popular so long ago. Uh, full motion video uh, in, in this context means that real life human actors are filmed doing things and then that footage <laughs> is somehow spliced into a game, whether that means um, developers insert maybe quick time events or they perhaps uh, include like story branching paths. And so you pick one choice and they play one clip or pick another choice to play a different clip. So this is all real life actors. There's no video game graphics going on in this thing. Um, and the, the premise is, well, okay. So before I say that, let me say that the developers of this game do not do themselves any favors. Um, their approach is very bare bones. The game starts with no tutorial, no intro. You just launch right into it. And I I think that was a very bad idea because I think a game like this needs a little bit of introduction for sure. Um, So what I have gathered from playing this game, excuse me, is that you are a, it's either a psychologist or a psychiatrist. I'm not sure which, Uh, pardon me, pollen. Uh, and you have you're taking over for Doctor Decker, who has been killed. So you are his replacement doctor. You are talking to his patients. I think there's like seven different patients, a mix of men and women, and you are both kind of okay. Okay. Before I get that, okay. So here's what happens. <laughs> I don't. It's, it's important to explain how this game lands because I think it lands really poorly. Um, in addition to having some other problems, but I think just the very way that it starts really kind of puts you off because as the game begins, you get no introduction. You don't know who you are. You don't know what's going on. You don't know anything. And you're talking to a person and she's like, oh, you're here. Go talk to the patients right away. And so you're like, okay, well, I'm a doctor. What's going on? And then you pick from one of, I think, seven different people and you sit down with them and they all have like just different things to say. Like, oh, are you the replacement doctor? Oh, what? oh, I'm glad you're here because I have problems and I want to talk to you. And they, you know, everybody has their own personality, but you don't, you don't know like what you're fucking there for. Like you don't know exactly what's going on. And so, um, how the game presents is there are a list of questions in the upper left-hand corner, text questions. So you pick whichever one you want and press the button. And, you know, for example, it'll say, tell me about yourself. And then it'll play a clip where the person will be like, oh, my name is Susan and I am a rich British lady and I'm does she because, say that? Uh, no, but like, you know, I'm kind, of, <laughs> I'm kind of paraphrasing just to, you know, give you guys the, the proper flavor and she'll be like, oh, and I'm here because I uh, committed violence violence against my husband and they think I'm a psychopath. So fix me. And they kind of say stuff like that. I mean, there's like, you know, one lady who's like violent. And I think this, this all takes place in the UK because they all have accents and um, bad teeth and they all just seem like they're kind of, you know, that, that kind of person. So... So you're, you're watching this and you're just like picking choices and listening to them say stuff, but it doesn't have a lot of meaning because you don't, you know, you don't, there was no lead up to this and you're not given an assignment and you don't really know what you're after. So everybody, I mean, the acting is okay. I think it's not, it's not bad. I've seen better. I've seen worse. Um, it's, (laughs) it's, there's a fair amount of cheese going on here, but it's okay. Cheese. It's fine. Cheese. Um, and everybody's just really weird. Like one woman, Seems really uptight and she has a shitty attitude and she's angry. One person seems like she is the kind of a nurse who like kills patients in their sleep. One woman is like weird and she's like totally coming on to you because she's wearing this like really low-cut dress and like saying really provocative things. And you know, there's like a variety of different character types. Um but but really how it boils down to is like you're just picking these dialogue choices and watching them say something. And you know, you'll just ask questions. What's your problem? What did you know about Dr. Decker? What did you know about his murder? What do you want me to do for you? Uh, Tell me about the reason you're here. Tell me about, you know, I mean, you're kind of just going through it and they all just have these like one or two line responses. And I was waiting for like gameplay to kick in. Um, (laughs) But as far as I know, there isn't any. I um, Full disclosure, I did not finish this game because it just was really tedious and boring and I didn't. I found no way to connect with it. I was waiting for a hook. uh, And there just wasn't really a hook. Um, I went through the entire first round of patients. You can ask each one, like, probably 20 or 30 questions. And when you get to the end of it, I'm just like, okay, whatever. I don't really care because I just kind of don't care. Like, there's nothing really for me to care about yet. And um, so when you get to the first intermission after you talk to all the patients, um, your nurse comes in and she's like, okay, so... We think one of these people is the murderer of the doctor. So you need to figure out which one of these people is the murderer. And I'm like, oh, okay, finally, Jesus fucking Christ. Why did not you tell me that like, like an hour ago? Like I would have liked to have known that. Um, but by that point, I was kind of already checked out of the game because you're literally just sitting there, clicking responses, listening to the response, and you're not doing anything. I mean, I think one of the reasons that FMV has gone through this kind of mini renaissance is because people have been doing smart things with it um, Wales Interactive, who is actually the publisher of Dr. Decker, but they've also published a couple other ones. Um, we talked about The Bunker a while ago. You remember discussing The Bunker, Corey? I do. And did they do, was it Late Shift? Yes, Late Shift and The Bunker. Both of those are FMV games. Both of those are excellent. Both of those are really, really good because not only do they incorporate real actors, but they actually incorporate gameplay. Like in The Bunker, you're exploring a bunker. You're, there are some light puzzles you're finding out story, you're unraveling like what happened in the bunker. It's all very intriguing. And um, there's just enough of, of gameplay in there to keep you hooked, to keep you moving forward. And with Late Shift, uh, that was a story about a guy who gets caught up in this crime ring um, at midnight, and he has this crazy adventure all over town. I mean, that was like really action packed. And there were so many branches in the story. Every time something would come up, like you would just like you really wanted to see how the story turned out. Like, Should you help these criminals? Should you turn them in? If you help them, do you shoot the bystander or do you try to knock him out? And like, there's like choices and choices and choices and choices would pop up. And so it was almost like a chooser and adventure. It was very well done, like really, and really high production values too, which is cool. So both of those are excellent. I recommend both Late Shift and The Bunker for sure. But this one is just people on a couch talking without real much motivation and there's no gameplay happening. You're just listening. And the thing that makes it even worse Was I didn't realize this for a long time, but there is a little picture of the the PS4 touchpad in the right hand of the screen, and I didn't notice it at first because it's just really small and unobtrusive. But after a while, my eye caught it. I'm like, oh wait a minute, what's that thing over there? I don't know. Oh, it's a touchpad. What does that do? And so you push it, and then a keyboard pops up. And I'm like, why? Why is a keyboard popping up? I don't understand because they didn't explain it. They didn't tell me anything about it. And I was like, well, whatever. I haven't used it yet, so I'm not going to use it now. Um, but as I got further in, I'm like, OK, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. They actually want you to type in questions. So I, I, I literally played like probably a couple hours without even knowing that I could even type questions. And so when I finally got to the questions, I'm like, I didn't care anymore, because if you type in something that the game doesn't recognize, the person just says, I don't know anything about that. And they they just say that over and over and over if you have a wrong response. And sometimes um, it just is not what you intended. Like they'll like go off on this tangent, which is not what you thought it was going to be. It was just really frustrating. And it was really dumb because you shouldn't be asking people to type anything on the PS4 pad. And I don't know anybody who has a USB keyboard attached to their PS4. I mean, I'm sure somebody does, but I sure as hell don't. And I don't have one handy to hook up. And I just don't want to even do that. So after I discovered that's what that was for, I figured they were probably going for one of those like her story things or something where they really want you to get involved in like asking questions. But I mean, not only is that cumbersome to do on a console, like they didn't introduce that at first. And I played like literally multiple hours of this game without realizing that was even how to play it. So I feel like the developers did themselves no favors by not explaining what their fucking game was about or how it worked. But all that stuff aside, bottom line is you're simply watching people answer questions and it's just not really compelling and it doesn't feel like you're very involved and it's just it's really boring it just it's a very poor use of the technology it's not a very innovative or exciting way to use this kind of a game and i just i I bounced off it really really quickly did not finish it and i honestly haven't even thought about it until today (laughs) so do not recommend
0: um any
1: questions Corey? what do you any thoughts any questions
0: well, we've talked, we've had uh, this come up a couple times before. Is this one of those games where the developer expects you to like read the storefront page to get the premise of the game? So that way you'll know what you have going in rather than the game elegantly introducing its premise to you in the game itself.
1: I mean, I would assume so, because I, I mean, I guess the, I mean, clearly this must have started on PC. So I'm, I'm guessing they're thinking, OK, this is a PC game. It's on Steam people will read the Steam, you know, storefront page. They've already got a keyboard because they're on Steam. They will figure it out. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming, and, and maybe I'm wrong, but I'm assuming that those pre-written questions are perhaps not in the PC version. That would make a lot of sense if they weren't in there, because then that would force you to ask questions. Um, and I think that maybe they added the pre-written questions because they knew that people would not want to use the keypad to touch or, you know, type things out on PS4. Um, so... Maybe that would have been more apparent if I had been on PC, but that doesn't really excuse the fact that they give you no introduction and you don't know what anything is about and you don't even don't even know what you're even there for until you get to the first <laughs> intermission. So, I mean, I, I'm getting really tired of, of this kind of a thing where developers are really taking a pass or they'll say, oh, you know, community-based, talk with your friends and figure it out, or, oh, there's a wiki or something. Like, fuck off. Just, like, if you're going to make a game... <laughs> make it like it, doing this kind of thing feels to me like somebody wrote a book and then did not put a cover on the book and didn't put any of the information just handed you like the raw script pages and like here is a book but you don't know what it's about there's no cover art you don't know anything more than that don't have the synopsis on the back like just do your just do your fucking job okay just do your job put an intro <laughs> tell me what your game's about put in some help text if you need something like just do it okay just don't just don't fuck around just do it so that's that's where i landed with mr Dr. Decker, and I just, I just don't recommend it. If you were interested, anybody listening in FMV games, I totally recommend The Bunker. I thought The Bunker was great. I also recommend Late Shift. I thought Late Shift was excellent. Both those games, wonderful uses of FMV, really exciting, really fun. Uh, unfortunately, Dr. Decker, uh, is a a miss for Wales Interactive. I know they wanted to keep the FMV love rolling, but apparently, um, Yeah, they just—I guess—they didn't have anything better to choose than this one, which is not a great choice. So, uh, do not recommend. Do not. Did not like. Did not find it interesting. I say give a pass to Doctor Decker.
0: Mm, Well, you can't win them
1: all. Two out of three ain't bad. That's true. So, Corey, um, you kind of alluded to it in the opening of the show. We are going to be talking about Prey, and I see that you're going to be talking about um, the actual core
0: game. But did you want to talk about? Mooncrash first, or how did you want to tackle Prey? I would love to talk about Mooncrash first. So to back up and preface this for a second, um, during Bethesda's E3 conference, they shut off a lot of stuff, uh, new Doom, new uh, Wolfenstein, like add-on kind of thing, or maybe like a little separate standalone campaign. They shut off Starlink, which is another new game, Fallout 76. But thank goodness they actually supported... A little bit the game Prey, which is a game by Arcane. I think it's Arcane Austin that did it, not the same team that works on Dishonored. I'm pretty sure, um, separate team but under the same Arcane umbrella. Prey is the alien space kind of, sort of immersive sim. Plays very much like Dishonored, kind of like Deus Ex, kind of a spiritual successor to System Shock Two. That came out, I think it came out last June, if I'm not mistaken. So I think it's been out for about a year, but I could be wrong on the date there. Um, but I, uh, I loved Prey for anybody listening. If you heard me talk about it at the uh, end of the year last year, um, it was up there in my ranking. I think it was like number two or three game of the year for me. I loved it. Uh, but there were some things that definitely could have been implemented into the game. And there had been no, it didn't, I don't think it sold very well. So it kind of like came out. Uh, got a pretty good critical reception, but like nobody was really talking about it, and then it just kind of like fell off the face of the earth like pretty immediately, which is really sad because it's a phenomenal game. But much to everyone's surprise, they did a little showcase for it at this E three, and they talked about launching a DLC called Moon Crash, and they have a deluxe edition of the game now that is packaged with Moon Crash, and then they have Moon Crash, which is like a separate game, and. As far as I know, from what I've researched about it, Mooncrash is a standalone, well, not really standalone, but it's like not story related DLC. It doesn't continue the story of Morgan Yu, who's the main character in the game. But instead, it takes place on the moon, which is kind of close to the to the base that the game that the original game takes place on. Um, It's on the moon. Apparently, it's a roguelike, which is very interesting to me because I don't like roguelikes typically, but I like Prey a lot. So I'm interested to see how those will mesh, where apparently you play through this, like, moon-based area. There's different loot every time you play through it. And I think once you die, you have to start over, like, you know, as as roguelikes or roguelites tend to go. Um, The kicker here is... Um, Bethesda were kind enough to give game critics a review code for it. And I, uh, back when I played Prey the first time, I actually got a review code for it as well and reviewed it for game critics. You can read the review if you want to on their site. Um, I, and they sent me a PlayStation 4 code for Prey the first time I played it. Um, and which is fine because PS4 is like my go-to console right now. So, for some reason, they sent an Xbox One code for the DLC, which I didn't understand why. Um, I made sure, uh, because Brad gets all the codes. So, I asked Brad, I said, hey, can I play this separately? It's not related to the story. I think it'll be fine. Uh, He says, yes. The PR people say it's a standalone experience. So, I downloaded on the Xbox One, cannot figure out how to launch it. And then I go to the store page, and of course, of fucking course, the last line on the description of the game says, this game requires the original Prey to play. So I basically got a dud review code. I, ca- I have it, the DLC on the Xbox One. I can't play it. Um, I want to play it a lot. So I'm not buying Prey again so I can play it on Xbox One because I don't even want to play it on Xbox One to begin with. So fingers crossed, they'll iron it out, and they'll either make it a standalone experience for Xbox One or they'll just send the ps4 code which would be preferable to me but uh, hopefully i'll be able to come back in the future and talk about it but the other thing i want to talk about whenever they talked about releasing the deluxe edition and coming out with moon crash they actually patched the game and and gave some updates to the game now prey has a new game plus for the first time um, which is something that i thought should have been there all along but i understand when a game doesn't do well financially they probably don't want the whole team working on it because they're probably trying to do other stuff not really support it um But they have a new Game Plus now. They also have two new difficulty settings. They have, well, they have one uh, difficulty setting called Story Mode, which is like an easy, easy, easy mode. And then they have what they call Survival Difficulty Options. And I don't think it's a completely new difficulty mode. It's just like modifiers you can put on a game whenever you start it. And I have experimented with some of this, and I just want to give a little bit of logistical info, and then I can open up the floor for questions once I'm done explaining a little bit about how New Game Plus works. How does that sound, Brad? Yeah, go for it, man. All right, so I tried New Game Plus, and the interesting thing is that even if you've beaten the game, the game—unless they patch it in the future uh, to correct this—the game will not pick up on your end game save— So you have to go back and load up your last save in the game and then finish it again, which for me, it only took me like 20 minutes to finish it because my save was pretty close to the end of the game. You have to finish the game again. And then once you finish it, it'll prompt you for a new game plus after. Um, So that's kind of a little weird thing, but I started a new game plus and... Uh, Whenever you start it, you can select your difficulty again, and you can select the survival modifiers if you want. And the survival modifiers, which I did not select because I wanted to play it easy my next way through, um, they are uh, weapon degradation, which means, I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory. The weapons start with 100% um like usability and they will degrade over time and once they hit zero percent they're done or you could find they have new i guess like weapon kits in the environment where you can patch them up or make them better um but the cool thing about prey is that going in even on the first playthrough before they patch the stuff in you can generally find several of each weapon around the environment which is kind of useless you can uh, craft or break them apart and craft them for parts, but you don't, you never really like need two pistols because like you just need one of them. You don't like dual wield or anything. Um, so that kind of gives that a good way you can have, like, you can like stock up on like three pistols if you need to. So that way, if one goes down, it's kind of like fallout in that respect. Um, they also added, uh, a trauma option, which gives you, Instead of just having a health meter, it gives you conditions that you can have. Like apparently you can be bleeding, you can have broken bones, you can have burns, and you can have, I can't remember what, what everything is, but it's just like a few things like that where you can have like bad health conditions on you, um, and those kind of make it a little more difficult to get around. And I think there's different kinds of medications that you can use to help that on top of health kits, I'm pretty sure. And then the last thing is oxygen, and if your suit uh, withstands too much damage and you're outside of the, the space station because you can uh, spacewalk in the game, apparently if your suit takes too much damage, you will start leaking oxygen and you have to get back inside before it uh, depletes or you die. Uh, but again, I didn't try any of those because I was not looking for this game to be hard. So that's just some stuff that I read about on the internet. Um, but New Game Plus, the interesting thing about New Game Plus and the kind of disappointing thing about New Game Plus is that the only thing that carries over from your old game to the new game are the uh, like the special abilities you can get in the game. It kind of does a similar thing to Bioshock, like where it did plasmids, where and Prey, you have neuromods and you can use them or not use them at uh, your discretion. And you have human abilities and alien abilities. And the human abilities are pretty by the books. You know, you can get a bigger inventory, you can uh, move faster, you can jump higher, you can sneak more, get more health, that kind of stuff. And then the alien abilities are like, you know, you can do like a shockwave or you can uh, slow down time or you can uh, like do the mimic thing where you mimic things in the environment and stuff like that. And after the opening segment of the game, whenever you get to Morgan's office for the first time, um, there's a new there's a cabinet in her office that has the headset thing that you use to scan alien entities in it, and you normally find that about three hours into the game. But you get it once you get that, you get all the abilities back, uh, so you can start fresh from there going forward with all the abilities you have. But the disappointing thing is that you if you had unused neuromods at the end of your last game you do not get those back you don't get anything in your inventory back so if you had weapons you upgraded if you had special weapons from certain quests like there's a golden pistol you can get pretty late in the game that's uh like stats are higher than the regular pistol you don't get any of that stuff back so that was a little bit disappointing for me i was hoping that they would at least give you the neuromods back so that way in case you didn't use them you could have them back to go ahead and use them at the beginning of the new game plus, but you don't. So if you're playing Prey for the first time and you want to do a new game plus, I would recommend right before you finish the game, use all your Neuromods. If you're someone like me who saves them up and that way you'll have the abilities going into the next game. And also don't uh, be too sentimentally attached to your guns because you're not getting those back in the second game. Um, And I think... I think that's it. Oh, the last thing, story mode. So I tried uh, playing the game on story mode, which is supposed to be like an easier mode. And to be honest, I did not see any difference between easy mode and story mode. I was hoping that story mode would basically like cut most of the enemies out of the game where you can just kind of explore because I feel like Prey... There's definitely room uh, for Prey to have basically just be like almost like Tacoma, where you're just like walking around the space station and trying to piece together what happened rather than fighting stuff all the time. But I played about an hour and a half of story mode. And I don't know if the game was scaling to me because I was doing a new game plus or if it just wasn't implemented very well but all of the enemy encounters that i had from the game from the previous times i played the game were still there uh they didn't like cut any enemies out to my knowledge i mean the enemies might have done less damage but i wasn't really paying close enough attention to find out if they were doing less damage um so i feel like story mode is kind of a bust like maybe for first time players it might be better but I kind of wish that they would have just cut out like a big chunk of the enemies and left them out entirely rather than making them do a little bit less damage because now you have story mode, easy mode, normal mode, hard mode, and then you have the survival modifiers you can put on top of them. And I don't know, I feel like they could have done better with story mode, um, but that those are all the updates I have as of now in case anybody's playing it or wants some logistical info. Um, despite the patch... Uh, being kind of up and down like new game plus is pretty good story mode doesn't seem super effective um at the end of the day i still highly recommend prey i love this game if you like dishonored if you like deus ex if you like uh if you're a system shock fan or even like a half-life fan um i think prey will be pretty well up your alley i love it i highly recommend this game and now it has new game modes and stuff um but i think that's it brad do you have any questions or any comments or anything
1: um, no real questions. I mean, I played Prey for a little bit, it was not my cup of tea. Um, I know that you really love it, and that a couple people in my feed are real big fans of it. So, if you are that kind of person, it definitely seems like this is the game that will scratch that itch. But I was not itchy in that way when this game came <laughs> along, so I was like, I want to give this game a pass. It does bring to mind something interesting, though, um, about New Game Plus modes in general. Uh, I don't know about you, or I don't know about how people like new game plus overall, but I mean, I I mean, so I rarely replay a game. Very rare do I replay. I have to like love a game to like, to even consider replaying it. And if I'm going to do a new game plus mode, like what I want out of a new game plus mode is ideally I would like extra story content. That would be the best thing, but I realize that's not always possible. If it's not possible, the next thing that I would like is to simply play through the game again, not harder, not more challenging. I want to keep all my stuff that I had, and I want to wreck fucking ass when I go through that game. <laughs> I want to destroy shit, and I want to just like have fun. Take out all those bosses that gave me a hard time the first time with no problem. I want to be a Superman, dispensing justice all throughout the game. I just want to plus play through it as a, you know. It's like with Resident Evil back in the day, where like if you if you put in the hard work the first time, beat the original Resident Evil under like seven hours or whatever it is and you got all the stuff you would get like the rocket launcher as a reward and then you would just like kill everything in one fucking hit with infinite ammo from across the map that was the best like, i'm like yes <laughs> coming back for you you motherfucking hunter I'm gonna shoot you with a goddamn rocket from across the room what do you think of that you know like i mean that's what i want out of a new game plus and hearing you say that they take away the neuromods you didn't use and all your weapons get stripped away and i'm like what the fuck good is that who wants that i don't want that i don't want more challenge or to have to like redo the same stuff again let me keep my stuff let me just enjoy let me just have fun with the game in a new way that i wasn't able to the first time i played it legit the first time i beat your challenges i got through the whole thing i saw the vision that you wanted me to see now let me just fucking kill dudes and just be invincible and have fun with it like that's what i want and so like hearing you describe the new game plus of this game i'm like ah why? I just, no, I'm not, I'm not going to play your game in the first (laughs) place. And I'm certainly not going to like, I do not approve of your use of new game plus. So that's kind of how I think, like, what about you, Corey? Like not only with Prey, but in general, if you ever partake of a new game plus, like what kind of a new game plus experience do you want out of it?
0: Well, first off in Prey's defense a little bit in this uh, scenario, I mean, keeping all of the abilities that you've purchased in the game before does give you like a pretty big upper hand going in so it's not like you're playing it again and it's like really challenging it's really hard um so that makes it a little bit easier but in general i pretty much agree with you like like the weird thing for me with prey is even like like doom i know that you know it's same publisher different developers but like whenever doom came out a couple years ago like that game has an excellent new game plus because you finish the game and And then you can basically reload any chapter you want from the game, uh, from, you know, kind of going forward into the game, or you can play the whole thing over again if you want. And you keep everything, because the game has uh, different mods you can put on the guns. It has, you have abilities that you can upgrade for the Doom Marine, uh, you know, different things you can get for him. And whenever you start the game over, or replay any chapters, you keep everything. And I mean, that's sort of how, like... Resident Evil 5's New Game Plus was, like, you finish the game and you keep everything. You keep all your guns from the last segment, uh, from the last time you played. You keep all the upgrades to the guns you had. You keep all your money. You keep all your treasure. Like, that's how I like to play New Game Plus also. Um, I like to have everything from the game before. And, like, I don't need it to be harder. But, I mean, if you have New Game Plus and you at least give me the option of selecting a difficulty level, like, that's nice. That's fine. Like, I played... Do I'm pretty sure I played Doom 2016 on either medium or easy, and then I think I played it on medium the first time. And then when I went back and played uh chapters on New Game Plus, I played it on a hard because I had all the weapons, I had all the power ups, so it was just it felt nice to have the challenge lifted a little bit. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, I kind of fall in line with you, like, I want to have everything from the old game and i want to really have fun and really explore and i mean that's kind of how prey is too like prey is such a big game and there's so many things to explore that if you go back for new game plus like you can really if you're kind of someone who just like mainlines it you can really like get into the nitty-gritty and explore like every single room and every nook and cranny and every ventilation shaft and you know spacewalk you know, to your heart's content all around the space station. And maybe you'll feel more comfortable doing that on a new game plus rather than doing it on the first time through. Um, So that's kind of nice. But yeah, I, I like to have everything. So Prey was a little disappointing whenever it didn't give me my weapons back. It didn't give me unused neuromods back. It didn't give me unused crafting materials back. Like I wish that it gave me everything. Like I'll settle for the abilities that I get, but I would prefer to have it all.
1: Yeah, that's if I'm going to do it, that's what I want to do. I, I, you know, I don't play games for challenge anymore. I got to really enjoy something. And if I enjoy it the first time, I just, you know, I don't want harder. I mean, I know some people live for the challenge. and That's fine. Like those souls players who like the new game plus gets harder every time you new game plus it. And there's people who are playing on like new game plus like 14 or some shit like that. And I'm (laughs) like, I just I just don't need that. I don't want it. And I mean, I mean, if the options there, that's fine. But for me, I just, just give me the old, just let me be strong. Let me be invincible. Let me just go through it again for funsies. So that's what I want. But anyway, no more questions for me. I do not think I will be adding prey to my, my, uh, backlog anytime soon, but I'm glad that you enjoyed it. I'm glad you dove back in and I'm really sorry about the, uh, mix up with moon crash. I have no idea why they sent us an Xbox code when they sent us a PS4 the first time. Um, but yeah, if we get this rectified on the PR side, we will be talking about it here on the show. I'm sure.
0: Yes, I hope so, because I'm very, very, I mean, as you might imagine, because I love Prey, very excited to play Moon Crash. So hopefully we'll get it figured out and I will be able to report back on it in the future. Sounds good. Sounds good. Shall we move on? We
1: shall. All right. The next game we will be talking about uh, is me. And I mentioned this really briefly on our E3 show, but I picked up Hollow Knight uh, on the Switch. That was one of the games that was announced at E3. And it was also available immediately as soon as they made the announcement. So that was pretty exciting. Excuse me. Um, So I talked about it a little bit last time and I've been playing it quite a bit. I mean, not only because I have not been home to play consoles and so I've been putting a lot more extra time in the Switch because it's portable, but it's also a pretty good game, not without problems, but definitely a pretty good game. Uh, so Hollow Knight, it became famous on PC. It is a 2D side-scrolling, Metroidvania-style game. It has a very, I got to say, a very, very good art style. I really appreciate the art. I did not think I was going to like the art as much as I do. But once you see it in motion, and once you appreciate all the little touches, I do I, I got to say, they really did a fantastic job with the art. I think it's a very beautiful game to look at. Um, you play as a little... I guess you're a beetle or a bug of some sort, but you're also a knight and you are in a decrepit abandoned city and you don't exactly know why you're there and you don't really know what the deal is. You're just a bug in the city and they're like, Oh, you know, explore and treasure and you know, whatever the usual, the usual thing that seems so popular with indie developers these days. And so you enter the city and you know, you do the usual Metroidvania thing of exploring as much of the map as possible and when you get stuck, you figure out you probably need some kind of ability—double jump, glide, um, tr- you know, any kind of traversal ability like that. Wall, wall jump, or something like that. So you 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 bounce off of a dead end, you explore somewhere else, you come back, you collect the power, come back. I mean, we all know how Metroid Metroidvania's go. This is this is not reinvent the wheel in any way, but I think <laughs> that it's it's really well done because I think the graphics are great. But this game is also very famous because it takes a lot a lot of inspiration directly from the Dark Souls series. Clearly, clearly very, very, very inspired by Dark Souls, which I think in some ways is okay. In other ways is perhaps not so okay. And before I forget, Corey, um, (laughs) before I forget, we actually got a bunch of uh, listener comments about the games that we were talking about today. And I was stupid because we should have read those comments as we were reading the games. So that was my bad. I sent you the notes and I didn't specify that. Uh, I will do that correctly next time, but how about we read the comments for Hollow Knight after I get done with my comments? That way it'll all make more sense. That seems to me to be the more logical thing to do. What do you think? That sounds like a plan. Okay. So remind me if I forget, please. Um, so you go through Hollow Knight and I mean, the controls are tight. You have a little sword slash, you have a jump, uh, that's all you have at the beginning. But one of the neat things is, as you strike enemies successfully, you build up like a little like a soul meter. And when you build up enough soul, you are able to give yourself life back. So like you start off with I think five little pips of life, and you know you take damage as you do. And but if you are able to successfully attack enemies without getting hit back, you will build up that soul and you can recharge your life. So like you get into a tough battle, you take some hits, you know, rather than having you limp all the way through the game or looking for some kind of dumb health pack or something, you just have to successfully attack characters. And then once you successfully attack them, build, refill your life and you're good to go to keep exploring, which I think is a great idea. Wonderful, wonderful idea. Very smart design. Um, other than that, I think that the game has some issues and I want to talk about those issues. But I do also want to give it credit for being intriguing enough to make me want to keep playing because I almost quit the game in the beginning because I got pretty frustrated with it. Um, And I'll talk about that in a second. But uh, it's it's an intriguing setting. If you like the feeling of the Souls world where there's mysterious things happening, you're only getting little bits of lore. If you don't know what the whole story is, if you like poking into dark corners, this game does that very, very well. They've got a good sense of the world. They've got a lot of lore that I think does a good job of filling in um, the gaps of what you know and there's a lot of gaps in what you know and just in general i think that it's very interesting as a setting it's very compelling so between the tight controls the clever life regain mechanic and the intrigue of just exploring this world i think that in itself is enough to sell it and i I do i like i want to be clear i do recommend this game i think it's a very well done game i think it's very good still playing it, still enjoying it. And I I just want to be clear about that because I'm about to bitch about it for a second. But I do think it's very good. So I want to stay on that side of things. But getting to the things that Hollow Knight does wrong, I think that, honestly, I think them taking so much inspiration from Souls is where it goes wrong because the things that work in Souls are very Souls-like and very endemic to that particular franchise. And I don't think those things necessarily translate well to other franchises. And yet so many developers think that it's these things that make Souls what it is when it's not. Like, it's it's about the world. It's about the feeling of isolation. It's about, you know, exploring things and overcoming challenges. And that's not really something that translates easily. And I think that a lot of, of developers, and not just Hollow Knight developers, but other developers too, um, they see the mechanical things and they think, oh, well, in Souls, when you die, you lose all your money. And then you got to go back and do a corpse run and go get that money that's that's a Souls thing, right? Right? Let's do that too. Okay, it doesn't work in this game. Like, it doesn't make sense because having to go through a bunch of challenges just to pick up your money that you lost, in in Dark Souls, it serves kind of a purpose because in one way, it increases the, the tension of what you're doing and it also really encourages you to be very tactical about how you approach the situation. In Hollow Knight, I mean, ish, but it's more about, like, if you just manage to avoid taking damage. Like, it's not... It's not like you can really vary your tactics very much. Like in Dark Souls, you can fight a guy head on. You can try to backstab him. You can try to avoid him. You can uh, try a different magic spell. You can equip a different weapon. Like you've got many different, you know, uh, verbs, as uh, Gary Butterfield of uh, Bonfireside Chat likes to say. Like Dark Souls gives you a lot of verbs. And I think that's great. Like, and so if you lose your money and you got to go back and get it, you got to be really careful and you think about situations. But in Hollow Knight, that's just not the case. I mean, you've got a very limited moveset. Um, basically just a jump and a slash. And so it's all about just like, can I avoid getting hit by these enemies? Can I make it through? Can I run past these guys? And it just doesn't have the same feeling. And I think I lost, I mean, in the beginning of the game, I lost quite a bit of money that way. And it just felt like really punishing without any real benefit to having done it. Um, The other thing that I think is really not a great idea is they have taken the bonfire system of Dark Souls and transposed it here. Instead of a bonfire, it's like benches. So you find a little park bench, you sit on it, you save, that's where you restart if you die. But there are totally, totally not enough of these park benches. And this game in Hollow Knight is huge. Very large. I mean, much, much larger. Excuse me, sorry. Um, Much larger than you would think. Much larger than the average Metroidvania. It's a huge game, honestly. And between the size of the game and the lack of direction, because you don't really know where you need to go all the time, like you don't know what you're supposed to be doing. And so it really falls to you to explore, um, there needs to be more saves because you can explore for quite a while and then don't hit a bench and you get killed by something and get sent all the way back. And I know that's a thing in Dark Souls. And again, I think it somewhat works in Dark Souls for a different reason. I don't think it quite works for the same reason here. I just don't think it works at all. And I wish that they didn't do that to you because I end up just like redoing long stretches of, um, of game for no real good reason. And it just is really fucking irritating. I also want to call it out because tied in with this mechanic is um, the world is so large. There's no real good fast travel. There is a basic fast travel system, but there are very few places where you can use it. You can't just do it anytime you want, and you have to like make your way. Number one to one of the little stations. Uh, there's like a big beetle that gives you a ride, so you got to find the beetle station. <laughs> it's pretty cute actually. The animation for that is pretty pretty charming. Um, I do like the beetle. Um, he's a very nice guy, but he just doesn't show up enough. Like there needs to be like twice as many beetle stations because often I'm like exploring to find some new thing. I've been looking for, you know, some place I haven't been. Okay. I want to go back. And like, you got to like, it's just such a long trek. Like it's so far to go. I've, I've got to the point in the game where I have explored almost all the areas and now I'm not exploring anything anymore. I just want to get from point A to point B. Like, like, oh, I have money and I want to go buy that thing that I saw three hours ago, but it's at the other side of the map. So I need to like take a beetle station as far as I can go. And then once I take that beetle, then I have like like a mile to walk and then hopefully I won't die on the way because there's no benches. And it's just, it becomes really annoying. Um, It's especially annoying when you're doing a boss. And I got to say, I feel like the bosses in this game kind of cross the line. A lot of them are really difficult. And because you have so few things to do with um, your moveset, it's, it's hard to tell, like, am I not playing well enough? Or... Am I supposed to have a power-up that I don't know exists? Should I should I be looking for a power-up? Should I be tougher than this? Or should I just be playing better? Like, it's really, really hard to tell. And the game doesn't give you any hints. And so it's really kind of a crapshoot. And what usually ends up happening is like you'll go to a boss, you'll fight the boss, or maybe you won't even know it's a boss. Sometimes you stumble across a boss and you're stuck in the fight and you can't beat the guy. And then when you die, your corpse is inside the boss room. So it's like, well, <laughs> I got to get my money back. So I got to go fight my you know, get my money back, but then you're back in the boss room again. And there's there's a way to circumvent that, but it's not obvious and it's kind of a pain in the ass. So it's not it's not a simple thing. So I feel like whenever this game takes a direct cue from Dark Souls, I feel like it actually hurts the game. I wish that it was um, a more friendly system of tra- fast travel, a better save system. I actually wouldn't mind a little bit more direction. I've actually started um, looking at it, uh, not a, a walkthrough, online because the game is so huge I could spend like hours and hours just going in the wrong direction not knowing what to do and I just I just don't want to be blindly searching so I've been following a walkthrough which is pretty good kind of giving me like the critical path which is fine and you know I've been enjoying the game but as much as I'm enjoying it and as much as I think it gets right I think it often gets a lot of things wrong and I think the Souls people give it a pass because they are familiar with these things and they don't mind doing that stuff But if you look at this game outside of the Souls context, I don't think any of those things work. And I think it would be a much stronger experience if it simply did what it does well, which is, you know, the platforming, the control, the world design, um, the animation, all those things are great. They're really top-notch. If it had been doing its own thing, uh, I think it would be stronger. But I mean, that said, I do really enjoy this game. I do think it is very good. Um, I do recommend it if you are in the mood for a Metroidvania or you know, if you like Souls a lot, for certainly play this for sure. Um, I mean, it's good. I just, I just, I'm disappointed by a whole bunch of developers, and these guys are not the only ones. There's a lot of developers out there who really like the Souls games, which is fine. And then they want to do their own version of Souls, but they just either don't understand how Souls works and what makes it work, or they don't understand that you just can't do that again. Like they do your own thing. Um, I think Neo is probably the most successful of the Souls likes because they take the core ideas and then go off in a totally different direction. And I think Hollow Knight was close because Translating Souls into 2D Metroidvania um, has been done before with Salt and Sanctuary, which I really super 100% didn't like. This one does it much better here, but they still are not quite not quite doing their own thing enough. I wish they would break out a little bit more. But overall, I do give Hollow Knight a thumbs up. I'm still playing it despite the frustrations, and I do, I do recommend it. I do like it. So... Corey, um, oh, uh, we have a comment, but go ahead. Tell me your thoughts first. We'll do the comment at the end.
0: Um, I just want to let you know that you pulled quite possibly the biggest Corey Motley I've ever seen you pull on the show so far. Because oh, shit. You... Like, it's, it's bad, but it's fine, but it's bad? Well, it's, no, it's more of a... <laughs> Uh, Like, uh, I like this game, but I'm going to complain about it for 20 minutes. Like, that's very much, I feel like, a thing that I do all the time. Because, like, about halfway through your spiel, I was going to follow that up with, okay, so you like this game? Is that right? But then you kind of circled back on it already and, you know, said that you were enjoying it and gave it a thumbs up. But totally feel like you totally took a page from my book and like a game, but then you just bitched about it for like 15 minutes. (laughs) Three cheers for so video games, folks. That's what we do here. (laughs) Um, I don't really think I have anything to say. I mean, anytime I see a game that is either self-described or um, crowd-described as, uh, you know, Dark Souls-like, I run as fast as I can the opposite direction. So... Um, not remotely interested in this. Uh, I I mean, I. it sounds very Castlevania-y to me, which is good. Like, a lot of the things you're explaining, I mean, I know it's like a Metroidvania game, but I keep thinking about, like, Castlevania Symphony of the Night, which I, I love Castlevania, and Symphony of the Night is obviously one of, like, the classics that may be the best one in the series, according to, uh, you know, popular opinion. But the fact that it has the Souls stuff in it, I'm just like, bleh. like, I'm not... Not into it, not here for it. Uh, I don't want to be penalized that harshly whenever I die and then have to like double back across the entire map and do it extra carefully just to get my shit back just so I can die again and do it all over again. Not interested in that, so uh, I will be giving this game maybe the hardest pass ever. Um, (laughs) And not to mention that I don't have a Switch anyway. I mean, I guess I could play it on PC, but I don't have a Switch yet, so... Um, I don't I'm I'm not not interested in this game so we can move on to comments if you want to
1: would you if you don't mind would you read the comments and then I'll follow up to the comments is that okay
0: uh yes um I guess we only have like two comments about this game yeah just two for this one start off with our good friend Louis Fiatreau yeah uh who says he's waiting for a PlayStation release. <laughs> <laughs> Good old Louis. Now I will say, I, I will say in this game's favor, this game
1: is a 100% perfect fit for the Switch. Like not just talking about how it runs, uh, what it looks like on the screen, how it feels as a portable. This game is like absolutely a perfect Switch game. So I understand he wants to wait for the PlayStation release. Totally fine. All due respect to that. I very often say the same thing myself, but if you are a person who has a Switch and you're wondering if this game plays well on Switch, this is like the perfect game for Switch. Like it feels great, it looks great, it runs fine. I mean, it is it is one of those games that feels like it was built for Switch. So if you have any hesitation about that, just jump in. It's very very good. It's one of those games, just a natural fit. It's a wonderful platform for it. But if you want PlayStation, go for that. Go for that too. That'll be just fine. But yeah, have no fear. The Switch version. It, I mean, it feels like the native version. If that tells you anything, it feels like it was made for the Switch. So,
0: uh, you want to read the one from uh, Roxy, my pet Roxy yeah this is from roxy um kind of a lengthy comment says um hollow knight is a beautifully crafted game that falls flat on its face when it comes to its souls-like elements i felt like the core combat mechanics were far too limited for the amount of challenge the bosses kept presenting even as they added on player abilities runs from checkpoints to bosses can be dreadfully tedious as you attempt to progress through trial and error Even with fast travel, there's a lot between you and your objective. Losing ground? Geo, uh, which is actually money. It's the money. Losing money. Okay, I thought it was like a typo. Losing Geo, a.k.a. money, uh, seems to hold no other purpose than adding insult to injury instead of extra tension.
1: Yeah, I have to agree. I I basically said the exact same thing, and I totally am right alongside uh, Roxy here. Um, Yeah, I just don't think it works. I, I get what they're doing. I get why they're doing it, and it's clear that they love it in Souls. But like, like I said a minute ago, it just doesn't work in all contexts. And I think this is a this is a place where they should have um, just recognized that even though they love something, that doesn't mean it belongs in that game. And I think that this would be a better game if they had removed those things. But all that said, I do want to pull uh, the Corey Motley. I did bitch about it. I said nothing but bad things about it. But I do think it's a very good game. Um, I am still enjoying it. If you want a Metroidvania with a little bit of Souls-like flavor, maybe too much Souls-like flavor, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's good. And I, I do like it a lot. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish it. I'm going to keep uh, plowing through. I do recommend a walkthrough though, because there is a lot of stuff you could miss in this game that you have no idea it's there. And a lot of it can really make your experience um, a lot easier or a lot harder. And if you don't have like a, a thousand hours to spend on blindly searching, you might want to get a walkthrough to kind of give you some tips about where to go and what to do. So I don't feel bad about using a walkthrough. I recommend it as well. Um, and I do recommend this game, but just heads up, uh, there are some difficulty spikes. So if you're not one for a
0: challenge, maybe give it a pass then. All right. Do you want to double back on Dr. Decker comments or do you want to move on to the next game?
1: Um, yeah, let's do that now since we since we skipped over that. And I apologize um, to Louis because I should have read that earlier. My bad. I will do that next time. Um, certainly back to Dr. Decker. Louis Fiatro says... I don't think I'll play it unless at an incredibly low price. And even then, not before the previous games for the studio. So Louis, again, proving why he's one of our smartest and uh, most handsome listeners, uh, because he is right to say that uh, don't play this game unless it's on sale. And if you're going to play an FMV game, play the other two first, because the both of the other two are much better than this one. So smart man, that Louis Fiatro. And I think we're now caught up on comments. Corey, let's move on to our final game. Vampire, I just got done talking
0: about this. I'm assuming Gamefly sent it to you? They did. They got here while I was out of town on a business trip, so I got to try it uh, whenever I got back.
1: Oh, dear. Okay, let's talk about some Vampire. Um, we, we talked about the basics before, so I don't know if you want to just give a quick recap or just launch into it, but how far along are you and what are your thoughts? Uh, go for it, kind sir.
0: Um, well, I have only been playing it for about two to three hours. Um, I really don't know what the scope of the game is, so I can't really say, like, oh, I think I'm this far in. Like, I don't think I'm very far in at all. But, um, I'll try to give a brief synopsis as well as I can. So, Vampire is basically a third-person action game with a lot of talking and a lot of, uh, like, conversation trees. It's kind of like... And in my opinion, it's kind of like if you took Mass Effect and it's like in a World War One era, kind of like Victorian, uh, almost like, I don't know that the, the decor of the game reminds me a lot of, uh, like the order 1886. Cause it's kind of like same time, same place era, but the order is like more steampunky and vampire is not really steampunky at all. Um, But it's kind of like that takes place in London. You play as a guy, uh, a doctor named Dr. Jonathan Reed. He, the very beginning of the game, he basically gets woken up from death and he is a vampire. Somebody bit him, so now he's a vampire and he's trying to navigate why he's a vampire, who bit him, how he got infected, while also, um, should you choose to, playing as much of a doctor role as you can in different districts in the area. Like you get recruited to work at a hospital about an hour into the game And that's kind of your first big, like, hub. His office is there. You can heal patients. You can talk to them. You can craft, um, like, serums for them and stuff like that. And then you can also go and fight, uh, like, people in the area who are infected or are violent or other vampires and werewolves and stuff like that. Um, How was that for a a synopsis? You're right on. You're right on. All right. So I started playing this, and... um, Like I thought it was all right at first like it was definitely intriguing although this kind of game is not really super up my alley cuz as I've talked about before on the show like if you I mean this isn't I, I wouldn't really call this like a fantasy game in the in the realm of like Skyrim or something like that cuz those are like dragons and spells this is more like I don't like, I mean vampires obviously what else do I need to say um but it's definitely not like sci-fi like it doesn't have that the order 1886 kind of like sci-fi steampunk edge on it. This is just like straight up, like old timey vampire stuff Unless sci-fi stuff gets, uh, brought in later, which doesn't seem like it's going that route. Um, I honestly think this game is kind of boring. Like I'm not really like all of the things that's doing are kind of just like really mediocre to me. Like the combat is pretty mediocre. I don't, like I've said it before on the show, I can handle third-person, you know, melee action games all and well, but one of my big things that I don't like in third-person action games is a stamina meter. And that's sort of like something that has come around since the Souls games, I feel like, have started uh, coming around. And, you know, it's the idea that you have like the attack button, you have the dodge button, but whenever you use an attack or a dodge, it pulls from your stamina meter. And then, so you have to be very thoughtful about, how you want to attack, how you want to dodge, how you want to just walk around normally because just walking and circling your enemy doesn't take any of your stamina down. But I come from a background of like Double May Cry and Ninja Gaiden where in lieu of a stamina meter you just have like a block button and you have to be very thoughtful about how you block enemies and how you like sort of roll around them and attack. But this game doesn't, not that I can see yet, doesn't really have a block. You can like Uh, parry your enemies if you have certain weapons. And I don't really like that. I just like being able to block and dodge. Um, And the combat just doesn't feel very refined to me. Like Most enemies that I've encountered so far have pretty much the exact same attack patterns. And there's a system where you have a blood gauge. And if your life gets down, you can like fill up your life with the blood gauge. So it's kind of like a second life bar. But if you're not on top of it, and if you forget to use your blood to refill your life, then you can die, and then you, like, wake up back in your office or whatever. I guess it just checkpoints you back to where you were before. Um, And, like, the game has a... Like, I know I was prepped for the game to have a lot of talking, but it has a lot of talking. Like, and you don't have to do it, but it's one of those games where I feel like it's part of the game and that I should do it, you know, in the same way that Mass Effect was. Like, you can just, like, blow through... A bunch of conversations in Mass Effect and gets all the action, but like Mass Effect and Vampire are the same way in which like there's a lot of dialogue, but you know it's there for a reason, and you feel like you should be having these discussions with people, so I wouldn't feel quite right about not talking to them. So it has a lot of talking, it has a lot of dialogue trees. Um, an interesting thing it has that I wasn't expecting coming in is that it has what it calls this hint system, where whenever you talk to somebody. Or if you read an article or, like, find someone, I don't know, like, a note for somebody, you can unlock hints about other people, and then you can go back and talk to them about those things, which seems—it's uh, very organic. Like, it's a—it's basically how real life works. Like, you talk to somebody, you learn something about a different person, and then you can go back to that person and be like, oh, I heard this about you. Like, why don't you tell me about this? And Jonathan in the game, he has um, like one of his vampire abilities is kind of like a like an interrogation ability where sometimes whenever he learns, hence he does this like bellowing voice thing where when he talks oh my god ben, dude that it, is
1: the best part of the game <laughs> i love when he does that and that the best he's just like you're talking and talking and he's like tell me about this thing and like you
0: just they tell you holy shit i love love it i mean it's pretty funny and it's kind of like effective because his voice like echoes and it gets like louder and deeper and it's funny because like you can ask about like anything that the hint unlocks like sometimes it's really um kind of standard stuff. And sometimes it's really silly stuff. Like, it'll be like, tell me about your relationship with the emergency driver. And it's like, kind of like uh, out of left field. But then the person like, because of his powers, the person just immediately tells you about it. and doesn't seem like offended or anything about you asking. They just like straight up tell you the truth about it, which is cool. But what I don't like about the hint system is that It basically just keeps you juggling back and forth between players and talking to them over and over again. And the game will show you when you've unlocked a hint to then ask something about somebody. But there's so many fucking characters in the game that I forget who all I've unlocked hints for. So it would be nice if there would be like, I don't know, like an exclamation mark that would float above someone's head or something like in the game itself once you unlock a hint. So that way I wouldn't have to go up to them, start talking to them, go down one or two conversation trees and then realize, oh, this isn't the person I have the hint for and then have to back out of the conversation and then go to somebody else and, you know, make sure that's the right person that I had the hint for. Like, that's the thing that I keep running into where it's like. I just like keep talking to people. Uh, It's just a lot of talking and it's a lot of conversation trees. And the hint system is neat, but it just keeps you talking a lot more and more. And the game is quick to introduce. Like when you get to the hospital, there's like a bunch of characters. There's like three nurses and there's like four doctors and there's a bunch of patients and there's like a guy who was like fighting in a back alley. And you can talk to all of them and you have like big conversation trees with all of them. And I couldn't, keep any of them apart like once people started talking about other people i would be like okay who is that again what like who what what is this person what's the relationship like i don't remember who this person is and like the game does an okay job of giving some people like pretty strong um uh, like personalities like there's a couple doctors in the hospital, and one of them's like kind of more daring, and he wants to kind of do like experimental cures for people and then there's a guy who like resents the guy like the doctor's daringness and he got like a promotion, and some people feel like he didn't deserve the promotion and stuff like that, but it's just like it's too many people it's too much talking. And I thought that I could put up with it for a while. But then once I kept, you know, getting into combat scenarios and I kept being like, oh, the combat's just OK. It's kind of mediocre. I don't really it doesn't feel very fluid or very, like, tactile to me. And then I came to a point where I was like, OK, I guess this is all the game has. It has mediocre combat and it has a lot of talking. I'm not really interested in either of those things. So I think I'm just going to turn it off. And that's exactly what I did.
1: OK, that's fair. I mean, I think that's a pretty fair um assumption or, you know, estimation. Sorry. Estimation is the right word there. Um, no, that makes sense. I, I don't necessarily disagree with you. I think I had a better time with Vampyr than you did for sure. But I will say though, uh, as of the last time that I talked about it on the show, I hadn't finished it by then or did I? I don't think I did. Did I? I
0: don't think so. I don't think, so. You did, I don't think no. so.
1: Because after a certain point I started to like kind of fall out of love with it as well. I still think it's a good <laughs> game. I still recommend it. Um, And all of the things I said earlier still stand. Like, I really like the character. I, oh my God, you don't even know how much I love when he uses his vampire voice on people. (laughs) Holy shit. And it's just, it's amazing. I love it. It's so funny. And it's so awesome that like, it explains why people would tell you stuff. Like these people would never tell you that in real, in real life. And you're like, tell me your secrets. And they're like, okay. And they just tell you, oh my God, love it. Um, but I do think that this game has a little bit of a problem in that it ends up being too long. I think it goes on for too long, which is like the number one sin most games commit these days. And because it goes on for so long, I think that does kind of highlight the issues that you brought up. Which I thought the combat was okay. I thought the combat was fine. I uh, I found a system that worked for me, and I enjoyed it. Um, okay, like I'm not someone who demands like super high levels of uh, fidelity when it went into combat. It worked. It worked well enough for me. I had no problems playing it. I mean, I. I guess I wasn't really coming to it for the combat, so that didn't bother me that much. Um, so that wasn't the biggest issue, but I think the biggest issue for me over time was, um, just like you said, the, the talking gets to be, like, a lot, and the problem is that they have all the citizens clustered together. Like, as you go through the game, there will be, like, combat zones, and then there will be, like, talking zones, and there's, there's, there's no, like, real, like, line between them. You just kind of, like, you walk into an area, you put your weapon away, it's quiet, there's no enemies, and so you're like, okay, I'm probably gonna do some talking here, and then you talk, But there are so many people to talk to, and they usually are all clustered together. And because game players are game players, you don't want to miss out on anything. So you don't need to talk to people. But you know that there's a benefit if you do, because you can harvest them for more XP if you want to do that. Or if you don't want to do that, you just talk to them and it unlocks side quests and you will learn clues about the environment and stuff. And so there is a benefit to talking to people. So anybody who's a good game player will be like, well, of course I got to talk to these people because that's what they're here for. And if I don't do that, then I'll be missing out on all these other things. So you feel like you have to talk to them, but they all have a lot of dialogue and they all are close together. So what happens is you fight for a little bit as you're going through a combat zone, fight, fight, fight. You get to a talking zone and then you spend like two hours there because you're talking to everybody. (laughs) And I wish that they had spaced it out differently. I mean, uh, you know, fewer people and, you know, really watch the flow of that. Like maybe one or two people when you get through a combat zone, do a little bit more combat, maybe one or two more people. And like, don't have like 12 people in a room because then you got to talk to them all and it takes forever. And there's just so much to get through. So I found that as the game was wearing on, like Once I reached a point where I felt like I was strong enough to make it through the end game, I just stopped talking to people because I was like, I, I'm, I've i talked enough. <laughs> I'm not going to do any side quests anymore. I've got all the gear that I need. I got like a real good sword. I got a real good magic spell. I'm fine. So I just kind of stopped. So I think that that was one problem. And I think the other problem compounding this, which may not be an issue for you yet, but probably would be later, is that because it goes on so long, the game kind of runs out of tricks before it gets to the end. And so while in the beginning, it seems really cool that you're talking to people, after a while you just, you just realize like, you know, okay, well, this is not going to mean too much. So I'm not going to bother doing this. And, uh, I'm kind of on a path right now. So you can change certain things. I mean, certain things do change, which I think is really neat, but after a while you just, you wish the game would do something different. Like I want a different kind of a challenge or I want some other thing, but basically it's talking and fighting. They, that's all they have, uh, in this game, which is fine if it was shorter or if they kind of paced it out differently. But I, yeah, I was kind of, I was kind of wishing for like a, like a, I don't know, some kind of a different exploration mode or maybe some other event to happen where it would kind of change up the flow of gameplay a little bit, but it doesn't really get out of its lane at all. So like once you've seen the first couple hours, that's basically what you can expect for the rest of the game. And I did enjoy it. I mean, I finished it. I thought it was, um, I thought it was pretty good overall. Very strong start. I got kind of tired of it at the end, but overall, I mean, I, I did like it. And I think it's a great place a great beginning for a franchise. Like I could easily see an improved version of this game coming out with like, you know, better combat to appease the combat folks, less talking to appease the folks who didn't like as much talking, um, freshen things up a little bit. I mean, it's a real good start, not perfect. And I ended up, you know, I, I, I kind of bumped it down my list. At first I was really high on it and I still like it, but by the end I was like, "Eh, okay, I'm ready to move on now. So um, still good though. Uh, but you're going to quit. So I think, uh, clearly they can improve some things
0: yeah i mean i think they can improve some things but i also think that at the end of the day this game is not entirely my jam and part of it i think the biggest part of it is that because it's like vampires in like world war one era like victorian london kind of thing like that's kind of not really my aesthetic to begin with like And the fact that the gameplay is just kind of mediocre for me is really just kind of adding to it. Because, like, literally the the entire time I'm playing this game, all I would rather do instead is play The Order 1886 or play Dishonored 2. Because Dishonored 2, the opening mission, or not the opening mission, but the first, like, real mission after the intro, um, you're in, like, a hospital. And it's, like, a plagued hospital. And it reminds me a lot of the hospital area in... Uh, and vampire, and I keep thinking, like, man, I would rather just, like, go play Dishonored 2 instead, or I'd rather play The Order instead, so that way I could get, like, really satisfying action, you know, that, in, in that vein, and so, like, it's not, it's not good for me whenever I'm playing a game, and it just reminds me that I'd rather be playing a couple of other games, um, but I just, like, I'm normally not into that whole kind of aesthetic, you know, like, Victorian era, whatever, like, vampires and mythology and that kind of stuff, like, maybe if this were had more of, like, a steampunk influence, or maybe if it were more of, like, an over-the-shoulder kind of action game, like, that might get me a little bit more into it, you know, and if there was, like, a little bit less talking. Um, but I don't know. It's kind of an uphill battle to get my attention, and it's just not um, entirely what I'm into.
1: No, it makes sense. I know you'd like your sci-fi leanings and stuff. Um, I will say that of the games you mentioned, I do like Vampire better than 1886 or um, Dishonored. I, out of those three games that we are talking about, I like Vampire the best. So I would pick that uh, one over those.
0: That's sad. <laughs> hey, <laughs> hey, let's not get personal now. Come on, man. Uh,
1: I, so I, I do like the aesthetic. I think, um, vampires haven't been done for a long time. So I think it was cool. They picked up vampires again. And I do like that setting, like the World War One setting. I thought it was fresh. I mean, it's not something that I personally like love, but it was unusual. Like you don't see that that often in games. So that was pretty cool. Um, I would be up for a sequel that improved on what this this game originated. I think it's in the right direction. It just needs a little bit more work. Um, one quick thing um, before we get to the comments real quickly. Uh, I do want to give people a heads up. I do think there is one very devastating design choice in Vampire that can really wreck someone's entire experience. I want to give you guys a heads up. So when you fight some of the bosses, if you're not properly kitted out, some of the bosses can be quite difficult. And what happens is it makes the, the cardinal mistake of using up your resources like health packs or whatever and when you restart the battle those health packs are gone when you start again which i think is a oh, terrible no. terrible mistake terrible mistake i didn't realize it at first and then cuz cuz my thinking is you're starting this battle you didn't win you're going to reload that resets the world like i'm the story did not continue because i didn't beat the boss like you're, you're, you're trying again. Like it doesn't make sense that the boss would get all their life back and that you would still be out of your health pack. So I think any good game designer worth their salt would realize if you're going to restart that battle from the same point, you give the player back all their life, life ups and power ups and health items and stuff. Vampire doesn't do that. So please, 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 if you are playing this game, please be careful do not use your life items in a battle unless you feel like you are 100% for sure gonna win and you just need a little bit of boost (laughs) because you will end up going through your life items quicker than you will replenish them. You will end up getting stuck with no life items. And although you're not locked into fighting the boss, you can always leave a boss battle. You will have to like either grind for a while to like find more life items or you just will not find more life items. So please don't use those unless you're like, two hits away from beating the boss and you just need to get over that little hump and then use one, that's fine. But don't use those. Don't pop them like you would in another game because you will fuck yourself so hard. And I've heard a couple people quit because they get to some bosses, use up their health packs, don't realize they're using them up until they're gone. And they're like, oh, wait a minute. And now I'm fucked. So please, please, please be aware of that. I really hope the developers fix that. That is a bullshit decision. It is not fun. I do not sign off on that. I wish they would fix that. So just heads up be extremely conservative with your health packs and your, your power-up items. Do not use them, um, uh, you know, unless you really, really know you want to use them for sure. So there you go, PSA. Um, should we read comments real quick, Corey? Uh, yeah, let's do that. All right, let me... Okay, let's read... I'll, uh, I'll, re- I'll read these ones here, and you can respond. Oh, boy, okay. Uh, first one is from Frank, Onyx Oblivion. He says, is Vampire an immersive sim?
0: I feel like I don't know exactly what an immersive sim is like when I think of an immersive sim I think of like I think I used that term when I talked about prey earlier where like it drops you into an open world and kind of lets you basically do whatever you want in it um and like really kind of figure out what's going on for yourself um how do you, I don't know the definition how do you define an immersive sim brad I mean, I guess it depends, but I, I
1: think that in this case, I think um, I'm going to just assume a little bit, and I'm assuming that he's asking if it's like like vampire um, bloodlines or like, you know, kind of like a Days X sort of a thing where, you know, you get to role play a little bit, maybe make your own character, maybe, you know, have different choices. This, this is not that kind of a game, I don't think. Uh, I would not say that it was. I would say this is more about a very specific storyline. You are a specific character. There are specific story beats you're going to hit combat and dialogue, but I, I I, would not say this is a sim in any way, shape, or form. I would say this is more of like a traditional action game with some story thrown into it. Does that sound kind of like what you've seen so far? Yeah, that seems reasonable. Okay, so Frank, this is not an immersive sim. I think the answer is no on that one. Uh, Louis Fiatro is back. He says he is waiting for half price. Oh, <laughs> Louis. <laughs> Bargain hunting. Bargain hunting. Uh, let's see here. We have a pretty sizable comment from Pete Lawson, who is Mr. Worry on Twitter. He says, "Vampire is almost a really good game. What changes do you think it would need to be great? Uh, we've discussed traversal. Anything else? I re- will talk about that in a second. I really enjoyed the unpredictability of what happens to a district when you make a big decision about the pillar of the community. Uh, well, I guess we can explain this real quick. So when you are going into a community, there are a number of people in each zone. And there's like one person who's kind of like the linchpin of the district. And so if something bad happens to that person, it kind of causes like a domino effect throughout everybody else. Like it won't kill other people. But if the linchpin person dies, like bad things can happen or something good happens, then it'll help everybody. So it's kind of a cool like little um, interlocking of people in a zone. So. I think I had one pillar die and like all of a sudden I had like a really severe like vampire problem on the streets because that person who would have kept the zone together was dead. They were not there. The vacuum created a problem and then vampires rushed in to fill the problem. So that was one interesting way of how that um, can affect the community. Uh, Going on to Pete's, the rest of his comment. He says, I thought I was making a wise kind decision. Next thing I know, everyone in the district is dead. Fun. (laughs) Yes, that can certainly happen. Uh, he says greater variety of enemies might be nice A slightly more Edwardian rather than Victorian London. And I'm sorry, I have no idea what that means. Do you know what that means, Corey? I don't know what that means. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. We are Americans. We don't know anything about that stuff. Uh, I would have to Google it. I'm sorry. I apologize. Uh, London with more cars, underground stations, red brick terrace houses, and so forth might give a more pleasingly accurate picture of the city at the time. I haven't finished it yet, so maybe this happens later in the game, but I was hoping for more interactions with London Vampire Society more role-playing, alliances, betrayals, and romances. So, Corey, just, just based on what you've seen, what changes would you like to implement to
0: make this a better experience for you? Uh, less talking. <laughs> uh, better combat. A block button. Um, no stamina meter in combat. Uh, maybe the game kind of like giving you better tutorials about combat because I feel like it does not tutorialize like... The weapon or the inventory system very well um and i think maybe that's it so far it's a shame because whenever like he and you were talking about this whole like pillars of the community thing like that that whole system sounds really fascinating to me because it would be interesting like in the first district you're in where you're in the hospital like what happens if the guy who is like the the leader of the hospital like what happens if he dies like how does everybody shuffle around that and i wish that the gameplay in this game were were interesting enough for me to play, to do that kind of stuff, to see what would happen. But it's just not interesting enough to keep me in.
1: Yeah, I hear that. I mean, I, as for me, what changes I would make, um, I definitely would want less talking and the talking to be like more organically dispersed. Um, I mean, I know it makes sense to have like the living people huddled together and stuff, but it's just, it's a lot to get through. And I wish it was paced out a little bit better. Um, I wish that there were more choices. You kind of get funneled into this like romance with one particular character who I actually felt like zero attachment to. Like I was like, <laughs> oh, we're we're hooking up. Really? Like that's, that's what's going down. Uh, I didn't f- want that to happen, but OK. So I, I would like a little bit more choice in that. And um, I would like more smaller scale choices where you, you do make these choices with the characters and like big things can happen. Like the, a whole district can change. A whole zone can change. Characters who are your friends all of a sudden will become enemies. You'll have to like literally fight them or, you know, like, like, like large strokes happen, which I think is really awesome and cool. But I wish more little things would happen. I felt like um, the little choices were kind of lacking a little bit. And I, I want fast travel. I really want fast travel because um, even though the game is not huge, it's an open world Uh, At some point, I just wanted to fucking turn into a a bat and just fly somewhere else because when you're trying to find characters or you need to, you know, you got to get to a certain shopkeeper or you got to get to this other zone or something. it's It's just a drag to traverse the city over and over and over again. I just, after a while, I just got really sick of it and I got tired of fighting the same guys and I just wanted to get to where I was going to get to the good stuff. So I really wish there was a fast travel. I really wanted that very much. The other big thing that I really wanted was... I wanted characters to appear on my map because when you're looking for a specific person, kind of like you said, Corey, like you get, you get a clue from somebody, like you'll find a document or maybe somebody will tell you a dirty secret and you're like, oh, 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 I want to talk to this person now because now I know something about them. Uh, Not only did you have to remember which zone they were in, like when you get to the zone, like you have to like look for them, like they are not on your map. And so I just got so fucking sick of like getting to a zone, looking for one particular person. And just for whatever reason, I couldn't find them. Like they were not standing in their same place or they just, I just, I couldn't find them. I mean, you can you can click on Vampire Vision and it'll give you a little bit of a hint around your area, but it's not good enough. And I just was like, oh my God, just, I realize it's not realistic, but please just put these people on my map. So when I need to find one of the like 74 characters in this game, I can just go straight to that person rather than searching and searching and searching. That was really fucking irritating. So that that was one thing that I really, really wanted a lot. But other than that, um, I think it was pretty good. I had generally a very good experience. And although it was not perfect by any means, I would I would be very interested in a sequel and I would hope that they would uh, just, just in general tighten everything up. So uh, final comment comes from Adderblack39 who says... Loved Vampire. Sure, it has flaws, but it was still a surprising treat that came out of nowhere. Sequel, please don't nod. And I agree with that very much. So I would definitely like a sequel. So um, any final thoughts on Vampire before we move on, Corey? Uh, I don't think so. I think I've said all I need to say. All right, cool, cool, cool. Um, I, we only have one section left if I'm reading the script correctly. Yes. So, um, Superfan Jeroen in Germany wrote us an email like many moons ago, and we <laughs> intended to answer his question a long time ago. Uh, so I apologize, Jeroen. We didn't get your question. It was like the first time I forgot. And then me and Corey were both too busy. And then we had the E3 show. So then it was like we just kept kicking this can further and further down the road. So I'm so sorry. Um, we, we we did not forget at all. We just kept like delaying and delaying. And so I really apologize that we didn't get to you sooner, but we're going to get to your question right now. Corey, would you like to read and have me answer first? Or do you
0: want me to read and you answer first? What do you think? Ooh, I think, um, I think you should read just because you have the pre-existing relationship with (laughs) Jeroen. All right. Okay, cool, cool. I'll read first.
1: So here are, here's Jeroen's long delayed question. He says, and I'm not going to do an impression of Druin because number one, I don't know what he sounds like. And number two, it would inevitably be racist accidentally. And I don't want that to happen. So I'm just going to read my normal voice here. So pretend, pretend along with me that I am Druin in Germany. Uh, He says, dear guys, I might have a problem here. I am afraid I am not enjoying games anymore. I feel like for every game I like, there are 20 I don't like. The last game I sincerely liked and really loved playing was Brothers, A Tale of Two Sons. Fantastic game. I really loved it. But games like that are rare gems. I know you guys covered this topic before, or maybe it was on the Game Critics podcast, but my problem with modern games is that I first have to go through big maps, then learn the UI, then learn how to work the pit boy then learn the navigation, <laughs> then learn all the gazillion options, and there's a steep learning curve to everything, and it's all so big that it starts to feel like work instead of fun. So here are my questions. Oh, and I forgot to say, um, I had to edit this question down for length because it was like a really, really super long question. Uh, so, Jeroen, sorry I had to edit that down. Um, hopefully, I edited it, edited this in a way that is fair and makes sense. If I got it wrong, please let me know. Um, but here are Jeroen's questions. Number one, and I'll let you answer this first, Corey. I know you might have had these feelings also. Am I done gaming? But what made you realize that you weren't done? Or which game saved you and made you realize that you still love to play games? Corey, your answer.
0: I I don't feel like I can point to any particular game and be like, oh, I wasn't enjoying games, but here's a game that I loved and suddenly I was back into it. Like we all have our ups and downs, where you know we play a lot of games that you know are maybe just okay um, or maybe like not great. But the one that I can think of most recently that stands out to me, and this is kind of a theme I feel like with a lot of games that I play because I play a lot of similar games like I play a lot of first person shooters I play a lot of stealthy action games I play a lot of walking simulators I play a lot of um, like you know some survival horror games there aren't like a ton on the market but you know I play them when I can and something that makes a game stand out to me is just like being even if it's flawed even if it's got some silly things going on is just like being different enough to make an impression because even if a game is really polished and really beautiful and is like a triple a that has like 80 billion dollars worth of development revenue put into it like at the end of the day if it just feels like a generic like say like a generic shooter or a generic hack and slash game like it's got to do with something else to really keep me invested and maybe like leave a mark or maybe have like really interesting story segments or something like that. And the most recent game, I feel like that, um, it didn't like, you know, cure my ails of bad gaming or whatever, but that the just really stood out to me that seemed different, that kind of really dangled that carrot that kind of kept me like wanting to play, wanting to know what's going on and kept me engaged. Um, and I feel kind of silly for saying this, but, Um, It was Get Even, which I talked about on the show, like, a couple months ago. It was the first-person shooter where you play as the guy who's um, exploring people's memories, but a lot of it is tactical. It's not, like, a run-and-gun game. And I think the fact that the game sort of takes on this sort of, like, inception or, like, this cell-like quality where you're exploring these people's memories and you don't really know what's happening, like, you don't know. Because I talk about this a lot on the show where I like games where, like, the like the subject matter is kind of gray and you don't know if what you're seeing is real you don't know if it's a psychological thriller you don't really like have a firm grasp on what's having in front of you like i will take that kind of strange experimental um just like mishmash of genres in a game over something like Um, I don't know, like a Call of Duty or like even like Horizon Zero Dawn or like God of War. Like, yeah, those games are absolutely beautiful. They're really smooth to play. Um, They're made by big studios that have what seems like an unlimited amount of money. But at the end of the day, like Horizon Zero Dawn feels like every other open world third person game that I've played, like there's not a whole lot that really separates it from the pack but get even this little, like, I don't know if it's like an indie game. I don't think it's an indie game, but it's like, you know, obviously a smaller budget game. Um, you know, something that, uh, you know, was not like a flagship E3 game or something like that. It just left, it was just strange and left more of an impression on me. And I mean, I've been getting more into the, you know, like indie scene lately, especially now that I've been playing PC games, but like games like North that I played a while back, um, or Welcome to Hanwell, which I talked about recently. That was like that weird first person survival horror game. Like I just like seeing games that don't feel generic and don't feel like as cookie cutter. And even if they're flawed and even if they're don't they're you know, they have bugs or they're silly. Um, they just feel like they have a good, like creative vision and they feel like they take a little bit of a risk. And I just seem to be preferring games like that over sort of cookie cutter uh like triple a games lately.
1: Good advice. Good advice. I echo basically everything you said. Um <laughs> you know, Jerun, I mean I, I I don't think for me that I will like ever be done with gaming, but I certainly have um gone through phases. But it's it's just like anything. I mean, gaming's like does anybody ever like quit books? Does anybody ever just, I'm just never going to watch a movie again. I'm just never going to watch TV again. Never. Like, you know, that doesn't, it doesn't make a lot of sense to say that. And I think that viewing games in the same way is probably the safest bet. So you may go through a phase when you're not watching movies, you're not reading books, but you'll come back to them eventually, or, you know, once in a while is fine. Or, you know, you don't have to have that be like your main consumption of media. I mean, I've definitely gone through phases where I just play a string of games where just I just I'm not having fun. Like they're not interesting. They're not hooking me. I feel bored. I feel like they're work. And I mean, the best thing to do is just stop. Just put them down and just do something else. (laughs) And sometimes it feels weird because I don't know what it is, but like as gamers, it feels like oh, if I stop playing this game, then what's wrong with me? Like how come? Why am I not getting fun out of this thing that I used to really enjoy? And why I I should be doing this? I should play some more. But, you know, just just step away from it. I mean, go do something else. Go get caught up on your books, get caught up on your movies, go outside for a walk, go hang out with your dog if you have a dog or, you know, I don't know, go try a new restaurant or who knows, do whatever and just just leave it alone and just maybe you just need to take a break for a while. Maybe you just need to recharge your batteries a little bit. It's totally fine, like, to be a gamer and love to play video games, but just to not play them for a little while. And then when you feel like you have had a break and you feel like you got the itch or maybe you'll, you know, take a month off and you'll see some announcement for a new game that just really tickles your fancy. Then you come back to it and you get back in and it's fun again. I mean, I've, I've gone through that phase several times and I, I definitely understand it feels weird to like, to not play games. Cause I mean, it definitely leaves a hole in my life when I'm not playing games, which is hard to fill because I just play a lot of games, but just don't force yourself. Just don't force yourself. If you're not having fun, just stop, step away, find something that's fun. And then when you come back to games, it'll be fun again. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's totally normal. It's, I mean, everybody goes through those phases. It's not a problem. And I, I often find that if I force myself to play through something, I just, I start to hate it even more. Like I just, just get away from it, put it down, do something else. And you'll like it a lot better when you come back. So I don't, I don't really have like any game that like ever saved me or any game that really like, I mean, there's, it's like, whatever is the first game I play when I get done with one of these um, hiatuses is is whatever game that has like, quote unquote, saved me, but it's not really saving me. Like, I don't think I will ever stop being a gamer. It's just like, I just needed to step away for a while. And then once I have, you know, been away for a while and come back, like I can find the fun again, or, you know, and it it also helps to find good games. I mean, don't, don't force yourself to play bad games. I've said a million times on the show, life is too short for mediocre games, especially mediocre RPGs. So, just find something that you like. If you don't like it, stop and just find something else. If nothing seems like it's fun, then just stop gaming altogether. Come back to it later. And it'll still be here when you come back. We'll be waiting for you. There's no harm done. So don't be worried about that. Um, the next question Jarun has, uh, he sent us a really long list of games, which we're not going to read here. Uh, but he, these were the games he wanted us to look at. So he said, which of the games listed should I play to determine if I still love games? Okay, I'm going to just cut you off, Jeroen, real quick. You still love games. I'm sure you still love games. (laughs) Take a break. Just take a pause. Come back to it. Um, I don't necessarily recommend playing one of these games as a way of kickstarting your love of games again. I honestly think you probably just need a break. But we will answer your question anyway um, because you asked us to. But my real advice is take a
0: break. Uh, Corey, uh, do you want to talk about your picks first out of the list that Jeroen sent? I will do that. And for those listening, this question really cracks me up because it's literally a list of like 20 games and there's no real like rhyme and reason to them. They're kind of all over the place. And so it's funny that he's like, here's these like 20 games. Now, which ones do I need to play to keep this passion alive? Like it's really cracks me up. Um, But I have some picks. I also picked a couple that um, are not on the list that I think maybe would be worth looking into. I don't know if you played them or not, but um, a few of my picks... uh, Candleman was on the list and Brad and I have raved about Candleman, um, you know, left and right. We both love that game, but something that I think Candleman will specifically speak to you is that a, it's pretty short. Like if you're not feeling super passionate about games lately, you don't want to dive into, you know, a bunch of 30, 40, 50 hour games in a row. I mean, Candleman's only a few hours long. And on the the other side of that too, Candleman is not, um, it's not complicated. Like you were talking earlier about how you have to like learn the map and learn the UI and learn the weapons and learn everything about the game. Candleman is pretty much just like a puzzle platformer. Like you run around, you jump, you light your little candle wick um, to see the area. And that's pretty much it, but it's really beautiful and it's really charming and there's not a lot to it. And I think that that would really work in your favor. Um, A couple of complicated picks that I have are a Deus Ex Human Revolution was on your list and Hitman was on your list. And obviously, I mean, I don't even need to say anything about these games because I've raved about them so much. But I would say I would warn you if you're interested in these games, they are complicated games that really challenge you to think about the environment and to really um, inspect what's going on and really see uh, you know, really plan, they really engage you, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. So, if you're looking for a game that's not complicated and you're worried about learning a bunch of UI and learning a map and watching enemy patrols and all that stuff, these games are probably not for you. But I value that in games games that really force me to use my brain and think about what I'm doing and try to like plan out actions in a row rather than just um, running and gutting. I mean, I can get behind a good like run and gun game, but I like these games that engage me. So, those are there too. Um, Sam 3 was on your list. Um, I loved Sam 3. I played it on my iPhone. Uh, the soundtrack is amazing. So if you play it, put headphones on, the soundtrack is phenomenal. Um, it's a little bit complicated because its puzzles are a little strange. Um, sometimes they're not very coherent. So that might be something to watch out for going into it. Um, but two games that I were not on your list that I just want to throw out there as, as examples. Um, the first one is The Unfinished Swan, which came out on PlayStation 3 and was later remastered for PlayStation 4. Um, I have this one on here because it's also not a complicated game. It's not very long. You play as a first-person character who has, like, a paint gun, and you just kind of, like, lob paint... Uh, like paintballs basically like into the environment and like the room you start out in is completely white and as you shoot paint around the environment you can like start to see the environment come to life and navigate it it's a really interesting take on like a first person exploration and it's very um like like Candleman. it's really charming it's kind of a storybook game um not really violent or anything like that it's very charming would be good to play with kids uh, very storybook like And then the last one, which was not on your list, I would recommend is Inside by Playdead. And I also recommend this because it's not complicated. It's a side-scroller. I mean, it has fail states. You can die a lot. um, But usually it's one of those games where if you die once, you basically know what you did wrong and can correct it the next time. But it's not complicated. It's only a couple hours long. You're either running left or right or climbing up and down um it's not an open world castlevania type thing it's just a linear side-scrolling game it's kind of depressing it's kind of sad but it's really interesting i know i liked it a lot more than brad did but those are just a couple of picks that weren't on your list that i think might be worth looking at if you haven't played them already because they're <coughs> short they're not complicated and they're uh very interesting
1: good picks good picks good rationale It's good advice um as for my advice, again, just restating, I think you should probably take a break. Don't force it. But if you are <laughs> determined, um, I just stuck to your list of what you suggested. So I'm gonna t- I went with two. Uh, the first was Grow Home, which I think is a very short experience. Uh, there's nothing complicated about it. You are simply a little robot climbing a giant beanstalk on an alien planet. And it's all about just the joy of climbing, the joy of seeing the, the vistas that you see when you get up really high. Uh, Just, you know, going around this gigantic beanstalk and finding things and um, just doing your best to get to the top and make it back to uh, the space. It's just very simple, very straightforward. Uh, It's very lovable and cute. I enjoy that one a great deal. Uh, And it strips away a lot of what modern games have. So if you're tired of like all the menus and learning curve and all that, this one is just, it's very pure and very simple and very approachable. Um, Another one from your list that I selected was Mark of the Ninja. This one is a little bit more complicated, but again, it's um, pretty straightforward because you're a ninja and you kill people. So basically everybody knows what that's about. And although there are some mechanics with the um, sound detection, uh, I think overall it's just a really straightforward, really tightly produced action game. And so maybe just playing something where you don't have to think about it too much and just can immerse yourself in the moment to moment action without juggling menus, without having to learn a bunch of stuff, and just, just going through and killing some dudes can be pretty satisfying. Um, it may get a little bit hard at the end, but you don't have to finish it. Just play the first couple levels. Enjoy being a super assassin and just kind of running through and killing dudes. And maybe that will just, uh, you know, be distracting enough or be accessible enough to kind of take your mind off of things and just get you back in the groove. Um, so try either one of those is my suggestion, but my real suggestion, just take a break. Go watch movies, go outside, <laughs> go walk your dog or your cat or your gerbil or whatever, whatever you have. Walk whatever animal you have. Uh, go, I don't know, go to... a theme park, drink some beer, whatever, whatever it is that you do, (laughs) Jeroen, do something that's not games, like take a week off, just a solid week minimum. Don't touch games. I bet you, you'll be wanting to play something by the end of it. And then some of the appeal will be back. So that's my advice. Again, apologies for taking so long to answer your question. We still uh, owe uh, Michael London a segment. So that is upcoming. We haven't forgotten about you, Michael, either. um, So you can expect that pretty soon. And I think that is it's i think we're ready to end the show
0: Corey, is that is that it i think that's it bring us home sir all right well after our games talk and after our listener comments and our q a that brings us to the end of episode 87 remember you can stick around after the ending music uh, if you want to hear tonight's banter uh, otherwise feel free to bail and we'll catch you next week um, in the meantime uh, remember you can leave us any comments uh, any feedback any ideas uh, any show topics anything you can by all means send us a list of 20 games and ask us which ones you think are going to personally revive your gaming career and we will be happy to answer those um, you can send us those to so video at gmail.com You can also post comments for us at the Game Critics site whenever the show goes live on Game Critics. You can also uh, like or comment or what have you on the uh, shows on SoundCloud whenever they go up. Um, We do get some comments over there every once in a while, even if I accidentally see them like three weeks after they're posted. Uh, I promise I'm keeping up with that lately. Um, You can also reach us on Twitter, probably the best way to get a hold of us. Um, Our show... The collective show on Twitter is at So Video Games. And you can also reach us individually on Twitter. Brad, would you like to give out your Twitter handle? Yep, it is
1: B R A D G A L L A W A Y. And that's also my Instagram handle, my recently
0: reactivated Instagram account. <laughs> and mine is also my first and last name. It's Corey Motley, C O R E Y M O T L E Y. Also my Instagram as well. Brad and I don't post anything so video games related on our instagrams but if you'd like to follow us over there we'd be glad to have you um and i think that's it do you have anything left to add brad
1: i think that's it but i'm glad to be back in the groove and you guys can look forward to our regularly scheduled show next week
0: yeah me too um but uh yeah until then this is the end of episode 87 we'll be back with episode 88 inching ever so closer to episode 100 uh, next week And I think that's it. So this is by from Corey. And this is by from Brad. We'll see you next time.
1: (laughs) We are in business. All right, cool. Yeah, like I said, I literally just woke up four minutes ago. We, um, yesterday was the last day of the show, Hunchback of Notre Dame. So we wrapped and we had a party and that was uh, exciting and sad and everything. and uh, Not too sad, though, because I feel like uh, we will be doing another project again in the future. So that's good. And then um, as soon as I got done at the theater... I let people know that I was back on the market for my other regular work, and I got a call that minute, and I went out to work, went straight out from the theater to a job, and I did actually did two jobs before I came home, which was really dumb on my part because I was exhausted, and then I came back, and I went out to work again this morning. Oh, my God. And I came back home, and I'm like, oh, my God, I got to go to bed. I'm so fucking tired. (laughs) Uh, so I've been a lump on the couch for the last couple hours so still waking up but uh uh, feeling okay ready for the show excited for the show um but
0: yeah getting getting back to life as usual how are how are you doing sir uh I'm pretty good so I have like general maybe I should have asked these a long time ago but I have like general follow-up questions about your like theater work Sure. Um, And if you don't want to answer any of them, feel free to just say, I don't want to answer that. Um, Okay. But I know you work with um, like one actor most of the time. So do you, do you literally, are you just like his right hand man at all times? And like anytime someone needs to like talk to him or like give him directions or anything, are you like right there with him all the time to translate for him? Yeah, that is literally what I
1: was doing. I was the personal interpreter for uh, the star of the show. His name is Joshua Castile. You can see him on... um, He's got a huge presence on social media. He works on um, movies and film. He's been on TV. He's been on Broadway. Um, So I was just, like, literally following him around. Like, whatever he does, it is my job to follow him wherever he goes and just whatever he needs, like, immediately do it, like, right away. So that's totally what I was doing for, like, the last two months
0: uh for like 12 hours a day so yes that is that was what I was doing huh okay so whenever I know you talked a tiny bit about this like a couple weeks ago but whenever they got to the point in the show where they were doing like sort of like technical staging on and like um what's it called like blocking and stuff on the stage yeah, totally um yeah. how like was that difficult or like how was that uh kind of a work situation for you guys Oh, it was, it was. I mean, it wasn't difficult. It was really fun. I mean, you know,
1: we would just do the process where, I mean, for people who are not familiar with how theater works, um, you know, you go, you read the script at first, and then we would just read the script and go through the lines. And then we would do the blocking, like you said, Corey, which is where people learn where they're supposed to be on stage. Like, oh, for this line, I'm supposed to be downstage right. And then for this line, I'm supposed to cross over and go upstage left or, you know, whatever. And the director will call out motions. And so, I mean, all we had to do for that part was, I mean, Joshua was like an amazing, amazing performer and uh, person in general, great guy. Um, so he would just watch us and he'd be on stage with the rest of the cast and we would be standing by the director. And whenever the director would shout something, we would just, you know, sign it and uh, give him some directions and he would watch. So, I mean, it was pretty easy. And then sometimes, you know, we would have to get like on stage or we would have to like run around to make sure that he could see us. So like, you know, if he was facing one way, Uh, In in case people don't know what I'm talking about, I realize we kind of launched into this. And (laughs) for people who may not know the whole saga, um, just to fill you guys in. So, I, you know, part of my day job is being a sign language interpreter, which means I take spoken language and turn it into sign language for people who are deaf. And then if people are signing and then I say that out loud for people who can hear. Um, So Joshua is deaf and he was the star of the show of Hunchback of Notre Dame which was just wrapped at Seattle's Fifth Avenue Theater. Um, so whenever the director would say something like, he, you know, I would run out there and make sure he could see me. And if he turns around, then I got to run the other way so that oh, I'm, I am in his line of sight. So if you can imagine me, like, whichever way he's looking, I need to run there and then be, be in that spot. And then when he turns around, then I run back and be in that other spot. So it's pretty... I was getting my steps in every day, I'll tell you <laughs> that much. I was definitely getting pretty busy. So, yeah, so that's kind of kind of what we did. And then we would do, you know, we did PR, we did a bunch of TV interviews, we did some news uh, paper interviews, and photo shoots, and whatever, whatever, whatever. Whatever
0: he was doing is what I was doing. And didn't he, correct me if I'm wrong, but you had worked with him before, and didn't he handpick you to work with him again? Is that right?
1: Yeah, that's right. We had worked together on a play called Tribes, which was playing at Seattle's ACT Theater, uh, last year, that was how I, so it's like, okay, so this is kind of like a long chain of events, but like, okay, so like a long time ago, long, long time ago, I went to, um, a doctor's appointment, which is a moanly, keep me (laughs) talk, can't even talk, (laughs) moanly, that's not even a word, mostly what I do is I do a lot of doctor's appointments and I do psychiatric appointments for people that need it. So I met this guy, at a doctor's appointment, and he's like, oh, man, you're pretty good. Um, you want to come, like, work on my play? And I'm like, number one, who are you? And number two, <laughs> what are you talking about? So he actually ended up uh, being a very famous actor who was an Emmy Award-winning actor from TV, which I didn't recognize at the time. Uh, so he's like, oh, yeah, come work with me on this play. And so I'm like, okay, sure, whatever. And so I did, and I did that for him as well. Um, his name was Howie Segoe, and he was on Star Trek, The Next Generation, and he was in a bunch of movies and he's a director and all this stuff. So he's pretty famous in certain circles. So I was his interpreter. I did the exact same thing for him uh, for a play, uh, which was in Seattle called The Skin of Our Teeth, which was directed by Bart Shear, who was a multiple Tony award-winning director. So that was kind of an interesting experience. Um, and so he, we got in real good, we became really good friends and he's a great guy. And so when Joshua came to town last year uh, to do Tribes, he asked Howie, like, oh, who's a good person I should work with because I'm from L.A. and I don't know anybody here. And so Howie's like, oh, you should totally use Brad. And then he recommended a couple other people, too, because sometimes this is like a two-man job or a two-person job. Um, So he recommended me and a couple of other people, and then Joshua's like, okay, whatever, I don't know anybody, so let's just bring, (laughs) bring whoever on and we'll see what happens. So he had a bunch of interpreters for Tribes, um, and he and I got along really well and we worked together really well. So he kept me, he kept one other person, um, who was, uh, another interpreter on the team. And there was, you know, some people he didn't like so much, some people he did like. And so he kept the people that he liked. And then when it was time to do Hunchback, uh, the director asked him like, oh, you know, who do you want to work with you? You know, take your pick. And so he picked me and he picked one other person, uh, to do the bulk of the rehearsal work. And then I was the one that stayed on to do his personal, personal one-on-one interpreting. So, It's all about who you know, as they say, it's who you know, it's connections, it's being in the right place at the right time. So that's kind of how this all came about. I kind of just fell into it, honestly. It's kind of random.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I guess that's kind of how like, I guess like the freelancing lifestyle goes, though. Like you never know who you're going to meet, where you're going to meet them and what they're going to offer you. And hopefully if you're in the right circles, they will um, uh, pay you well (laughs) and you will get more jobs from it.
1: Totally, totally. I mean, it's just, you know, be on your game all the time, be friendly to people, be in the right place and, you know, take offers if they're made to you. And, you you know, it'll lead somewhere eventually. And, you know, if you have a good reputation, do a good job, it'll pay off. I mean, I'm sure it's going to be the same thing for you, dude, because with all your Instagramming and all your photos and you're being out there and knowing people and people getting to know you as the guy that takes pictures of um, sexy men in bisexual lighting, (laughs) like you know, someone will see that. And like, eventually someone will reach out to you and like, it'll, it'll all lead somewhere. So, I mean, that's kind of how it works when you're a freelancer, for sure.
0: Absolutely. Cool. Well, yeah, I had been thinking about some of that stuff with like, uh, you know, how you had been working with, um, for the show and everything. And it was one of those things where I felt like I knew like 60% of the information, like surrounding the situation and thought it would be a good idea just to like ask you a few questions about how it all came and went, I guess. Yeah, always happy to answer. And it's, um, it's I mean, it's a really unusual
1: thing that I do for most people, and it's a really unusual thing in general, and it's kind of a really fringe kind of circumstance. But man, it's just, it's really fun, and it's really cool. And I got to say, like, the, the experience of working at the theater was amazing. Everybody was amazing. I made so many good friends, and I hugged so many people, and we <laughs> took so many selfies. And and I got to say also, I mean, I really want to give props to, um, to Joshua, Castile, and also uh, in this particular show, so Josh was deaf and the Hunchback is a musical. If you've seen the Dizzy musical, we use a lot of the same songs, not all the same songs, but most of the same songs. And he was working with a performer named EJ Cardona, who was the person who needed the, the singing because Josh is deaf. He cannot sing with his voice. Uh, and so, <clears throat> excuse me, EJ would be partnered up with him and, uh, you know, look him up on Instagram. I don't know if he's got any YouTube videos out or something, uh, but he, is a fucking amazing singer. I was like, oh my God, I cannot believe how good this guy's voice is. He just like rocks it so hard Like he belts out and some of the notes he hits are just like fucking incredible. And the ironic thing, the ironic thing is that he wasn't even the first choice. They picked a guy to work with Joshua and they're like, oh, we got a really awesome singer lined up for you. It's going to be amazing. And for some reason, that guy backed out at the last minute. I think he actually got a more lucrative offer to be on Broadway somewhere. So they're like, okay, wow, we got left in the lurch. We have nobody. So they did a really quick search, and they found um, EJ, who, believe it or not, was working at um, Disney World in Florida, and he was dressed up in a turtle suit for the Lunchtime (laughs) Finding Nemo show. Uh, So he was on stage dressed up as a turtle doing that little show like three times a day. And they bring this guy in, and he is the the most incredible singer. I was like, holy fucking shit. This guy is <laughs> phenomenal. What are you doing dressed up in a fucking turtle suit? Why are you, why are you on stage at Disney? I mean, not to say that's a bad job and, you know, no disrespect to anybody, but I mean, with the talent this guy's got, he should be, I mean, he should be doing like really big stuff. So hopefully this will lead to something um, for EJ as well. But EJ and Josh are phenomenal. I was so lucky to work with them and it was great to work with just people so talented, not only so talented, but so friendly and warm and human and just they were just like the best people like you always wanted to hang out with them you're always glad to see them they were just I mean people that talented you know you might expect them to be assholes or to be arrogant or anything like totally not the case at all these guys were the best people so it was just
0: phenomenal experience all the way around so did Josh go off to another production and is there any chance in the future that he can just like hire you as his full-time personal assistant, and you just travel the world with him and sign for him all the time. It's funny you say that, because
1: I was actually going to circle back to that in some other banter I was going to bring up. But uh, yeah, he's going to go off and do some other stuff. He's got some offers. I can't say anything about that. Um, but he's got a few things in the works that are all pretty big things. So hopefully one of those things will pan out. And, you know, there's no guarantee that I will be his interpreter, because sometimes when you go to work with a director or a movie or something, like, you know, they've got friends too, and so, like, if they already have somebody lined up, then, you know, they got somebody lined up, and that's fine, that's the way the world works, but um, I would love to work with him again, I told him that if he, if he got another offer, I would happily go wherever he needed me to go, whether it be in New York, or LA, or Chicago, or anything, I'm like, oh, just let me know, and I'm happy to fly out, and we'll, we'll get it done for you, and we're a great team, I mean, I think that he um, would definitely call me back if there was a, an opportunity, so we shall see what happens. And I think that we probably will definitely be working together in the future. So yeah. Um, and and to be frank also with somebody who is approaching his caliber of being a star, like, I mean, he's only 23, but he's already becoming a very, very, um, he's a force dude. Like he's going to be out he's going to be making changes. He's going to be a well-known person. So when you get to be well-known like that, you can start calling your own shots. So it's probably not going to be too much longer before he starts
0: calling his own shots. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. I would love to work with him again, though. It was great. (laughs) Well, tell him that he needs to get cast in something in New Orleans. So that way you can come here and work with him. And then I can see you and possibly him at the same time. And you can take some photos. <laughs> I can be his personal on-set photographer, and you can be his personal interpreter, and then we can all just work together.
1: <laughs> oh, that would be fucking dope, dude! Like you can be like his documentarian or something. You just follow him around all the time and do like little photos and everything. And we could post them on his Instagram. That would be amazing. Oh my god, that would be so much fun. So, I will let you know if such an opportunity arises. We will uh, we will be in the loop on that. But um, enough about me yakking and talking. <laughs> all this
0: shit what have you been up to what have you been doing um gosh I've been I really don't have a whole lot to talk about today and I have uh, been I've been I say this every fucking week and I know that people are probably they probably just turn the show off every single time I say this luckily it's at the end of the show so it's not a big deal but um, I've been taking so many motherfucking photos like I was out in Arizona and in Columbus whenever I was on vacation a couple weeks ago and on my work trip and I took a bunch of pictures and then I came back and I went to like a skateboarding thing last week and then I went out uh, yesterday with a couple guys that do parkour in the area and I feel like every time I like sit down to edit photos like something new comes up and I'm like out doing photos so I've been taking a lot of pictures but the only like super relevant um thing that i could probably discuss for banter is um like so i i got like i talked about back in january i got my job so i've been working at tulane and everything and i feel like this week like maybe like today as a matter of fact it's really starting to dawn on me that i'm like starting to take on like more responsibilities at work and it's kind of scary like in a couple i think in about three weeks i'm gonna be Hosting a training session for people that work in our campus rec department, and I'm going to be training them. We're kind of shifting some duties around, and the computer system that we use at work, and how certain incident reports come in, and who's going to take care of them. And so I'm going to be training these people. And the woman that I've been working with the most in my department at work, uh, she like, she's like a genius and knows like everything about the system that we work for because she's been using it for like eight years or something like that. And she literally went into labor today, so she's not going to be around the office for a few months, and I am sort of, like, I mean, I'm not, like, her next in line. There's probably, like, a couple people ahead of me that could answer more questions than I can, but, like, I'm sort of actively working toward being her equal as far as knowing the system at work, and so she's gone, and I'm going to have to take on this, like, training scenario and, like... You know, schedule like it's all just very like adult office y. Like, I'm emailing a lot of people and I have to schedule uh, meeting invites. And we just learned this new uh, video conferencing software at work a few weeks ago that I'm gonna have to brush up on because I'm gonna be training them, but I'm also gonna be doing it over a video conference and recording it at the same time so that way if anybody needs to go back and reference my training segment, they can just like go back and watch the video conference, um, like thing that I record while I have everybody in the room training. And it's just like kind of exciting and also kind of really scary because I've only been working there for six months and I'm about to be in a room full of people training them on how to do some stuff. And it makes me nervous.
1: What's what's that sound I hear, Corey? Do you hear that? It sounds like It sounds like the sound of adulthood creeping in. Oh, my God. Oh, my God.
0: It's so scary. (laughs) I know. You're telling me. Like, I like I mean, I'm excited, and I feel like I'm kind of sort of, like, coming into my own at work now. But the thought of me having to, like, be up in front of a bunch of colleagues at work, many of whom, I mean, a lot of whom I will have not met until I start training them on something. Like, I think I'm training, like, I think like seven or eight people, and I've only met two of them. And I think a lot of them are in positions that are higher than mine, or they have more responsibilities than me, and are probably older than me, and way more qualified at everything than me. And the fact that I'm going to be like in front of them in a classroom, like teaching them how to use some new procedures and our software is going to be kind of wild. I'll have to put like extra deodorant on that day because I'm going to be really uh, kind of freaked out. <laughs> I can't gonna have to put two layers of deodorant (laughs) on uh. (laughs) huh?
1: well good for you man i mean you clearly must be doing something correct otherwise they wouldn't have you go up and do that stuff i mean i know that that lady went out on pregnancy or whatever but still if they thought you were a talentless schmuck they probably wouldn't put you in charge (laughs) of that training so says good things that you are moving up in the world and you know i don't know i mean you dress nice you got a
0: little office you're gonna be teaching stuff boy you're just my little cory's growing up kind of sad (laughs) Uh, yeah, I guess. And uh, the funny thing (laughs) is that I like, you know, I technically work in higher ed now. And it's something that I hadn't really like ever been like seeking out. And whenever I was on my business trip, I had several people that, you know, just like among mingling small talk were. And these are like professional people, because I'm not like, I don't think I'm like a professional. And I'm like mingling with people and they're like, oh, so what's your background? What did you do before working in higher ed? Or what would you do before this? And I was like, "Uh, well, I was unemployed for like a year and a half. So like all these people have been working in higher ed for like 10 years and they worked in case management and then they worked for Title IX and, you know, this and that. And I'm like, yeah, I was unemployed for a year and a half. And I just kind of sort of got hired for this position. I have no background in higher ed, have no background in any education and i just sort of found my way into working for a private university and uh here i am so surprise did you ever climb a ladder when you were at target uh uh, what do you mean like figuratively or literally no like literally was there ever like a ladder (laughs) that you physically climbed at target uh i used to climb up and down ladders in the back room all the time so the next time
1: someone asks you, you should, you know, considering that you at one point were up at the top of a ladder at Target, you should say, oh, well, I was very high up at Target, so I came here directly from there. So that's how they got me. So, oh, my you know, God. going to make it sound a little fancier. Yeah. Well, I
0: did. Whenever I was at the conference, I did tell people that I came from Target. And I tried, like, I try to, like, gussy up my target experience i was like oh yeah you know i like had keys and a passcode to a store and i was in charge of two teams and i would have to unarm the building in the mornings for everybody so that kind of makes me sound a little bit cooler than i actually was I don't know. You're pretty cool. Give yourself some credit. Dude. Not everybody gets the run of the Target store. So. Oh my God. It was, you're moving up. Ugh. You're moving up. You're moving up. What else you got to, what else you got to bant about, sir? Oh God. I really like, don't have anything else. I've been doing nothing, but taking photos, trying to edit them, doing chores around the house and working and sleeping, not enough. And that's pretty much all I have going for me right now. All right. All right. Fair enough.
1: I got a couple little tidbits I wrote. Oh, so yesterday was the Pride Parade here in Seattle, which is um, great. Although it's like totally ironic, dude. Um, the, I So I've been living in Seattle for like 30 years or more than 30 years. And when I was a kid, I didn't I mean, I didn't really know about Pride and my family didn't know. So I don't count those years. But like once I became like aware of Pride, I have literally... Never been able to go ever because I'm always working that weekend. And like I want to go and show support for all my friends and family who are, who are uh, you know gay or lesbian or transgender or whatever. And I want to go out there and you know support that. And like I'm always working. Same again this past weekend. I'm at the theater, last day of the theater, and it's like Pride Parade is literally going down the street two blocks from us. I can see thousands, thousands of people, thousands of rainbows um, to go going, you know, marching down and I'm like, oh man, I want to go check out the, pr-. And I can't, I've, I've literally never gone. It's like so ridiculous. And every year I'm like, no, next year is the year that I'm going. We're going to go, we're going to go as a family. It's going to be awesome. And like, I am always working. So I don't know if I'll ever be able to go, but it was pretty cool. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people, huge crowd filling fourth Avenue uh, in downtown Seattle and uh, marching all the way down to, I think they went to a Seattle center or something like that. So that was really cool. Very excited, and it's one you know, kind of an ironic story since we were kind of talking about interpreting. I have been asked to um, work at the Pride uh, Festival to to uh, go up on stage and interpret for some of that stuff. Um, and I actually, like at first, I'm like, I don't want. Why? Sh- why would you want me to do that? Because I'm just like this straight dude, and I'm you know I'm cis <laughs> and I'm white and I have, like, why do you want me to do that? And they're like, we want you to do that because all of our all of our L, G, B, T or Q people want to be there. Like they don't want to work it. They want uh, to attend it. So we need to get somebody who doesn't want to do it. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Well, that makes perfect sense because I mean, um, yeah, I mean, if I was, if I wanted to go as a participant, if that was my day, of course I would want to be, you know, in the crowd and drinking and dancing and whatever. So I'm like, okay, that makes total sense. So, um, I have not been able to do it yet, but I totally would do it for sure. But, uh, yeah, I just it only, it kind of really threw me for a loop at first because I'm like, why would you, why would I do that? I'm not the right guy for that. There's got to be somebody else that's more suited for that. But yeah, so that's that's why that goes. But anyway, um, happy Pride, to everybody who is at the Pride Parade in Seattle. Um, I have so many, so many friends, so many family, uh, biological and chosen and otherwise that are one of those letters, and I support all of them, love them very much. <laughs> nothing but nothing but uh, the best for all of my my rainbow tinged people so um hooray for pride and one other so also to circle back on the thing you mentioned earlier about me following josh around the country it's funny you say that because um rent in seattle is getting ridiculous i don't know if I, i must have mentioned that on the show before have i mentioned that before
0: uh i mean i don't know if you have but i feel like it's just common knowledge in the united states that seattle is like one of the most expensive places to live
1: Yeah, it's getting it's getting absurd. And I, um, you know, people are commonly saying they expect Seattle to hit like New York prices, like within the next 10 years, if current trends continue. And there's like no sign that they're not going to continue. So I mean, it's it's getting really ridiculous. It's causing a lot of problems. It's causing um, a lot of displacement. And we got into our apartment a while ago before our particular corner of the city got really popular. Um, but I mean, rent everywhere around us is just skyrocketing. And we're very lucky because our landlord is this really old, um, guy from Greece. Very cool dude. Him and his wife are great. They're great people. Love them very much. We've had a great relationship, uh, for the past like eight or 10 years that we've been living in this place, uh, renting, but he's getting older. He's getting a lot older. His wife is older. She was recently really, really sick. And, um, he seems like he, you know, they're both like in their seventies, I'm pretty sure. So they're not, um, you know they're just not the young young people that they used to be and i know for a fact that as soon as they are not able to keep up with their duties of being landlords they're going to either sell the building or turn it over to their children and their children have like mega dollar signs in their eyes i mean i you know whatever i don't blame them it's their property they can do with what they want but as someone who has been a tenant in the building i have really really enjoyed living here for a reasonable rent they've only raised rent on us like once in 10 years and it was a very small increase Whereas people around us are just like literally getting priced out because they can't keep up with the raises. So we have been basically blessed to live here. And uh, it's been good, but he's not going to live forever. You know, like nobody does. Nobody lives forever. He's getting older. Every time I see him, he looks older. And I'm just like talking to the wife and I'm like, okay, so we are living on borrowed time here because as soon as he is not in charge, we're going to get priced out and we're going to be homeless and we're going to have to find a new place. And I don't know what it's like where you live. But in Seattle, recently, one of the very unpleasant trends is that if you want to move into a place, they ask you for first month's rent, last month's rent. They have a security deposit, which is also sometimes the cost of a month's worth of rent and then other various fees that you have to kick in. And so it's very common for someone to move into an apartment to have to put up like eight or ten thousand dollars just to get into an apartment. So that has never been the case in the past. And I don't know about you, but I don't have like $10,000 laying around in cash (laughs) that I can just front somebody. And on top of the fact, that's absurd. That is absurd. But that's how things are going because so many people in Seattle have so much money and prices are going up so much that if you're not one of those privileged few, then fuck you and get out, right? So we are in the fuck you, get out category. And so we're talking to the wife and I'm like, okay, so look, um, prices are getting crazy Once we lose this apartment, I don't know where we're gonna live because I doubt we can afford anything else in the city, and I don't want to live two hours away and commute every fucking day because traffic is a nightmare. I'm like, I, you know, I don't even know what to even do. But then this when this thing with Joshua happened, and I'm like, well, you know, he's an up and coming actor. He's got to be doing more jobs. We will probably work together again. I mean, if he gets a job somewhere else, maybe we should just go. And then we kind of started talking about it more. And we're like, you know, are you ready to leave the city if we need to leave? And she's like, yeah, I'm probably ready. And I'm like, yeah, I'm probably ready too, which is weird because I always thought I would just like live here and retire and settle down forever. But that was before prices got so nuts. That does not seem like a realistic thing anymore. So we were like, you know, we've been talking about tiny homes for like a long time. I I have brought up tiny homes on the show before, haven't I? Yeah, we've talked about them a few times. Okay. So like we're getting, we're like, we're like, we're like in the real, this is actually. A thing stage now. <laughs> so I think our current plan is we're going to like start looking into. But I, I don't want to build it myself. I'm not crazy, but like we would probably buy a tiny home of some sort and, you know, maybe look for like a place near the city here in Seattle where we could like park it and live and then just give up the apartment. Because I would rather leave the apartment on our own terms rather than wait for him to get sick and die. And then we like all of a sudden are surprised by it, you know? Like I would rather get out while we are ready to get out rather than him telling us we have 30 days and we're totally unprepared. So I'm like, okay, let's just let's look into this because it suits our lifestyle. And also, I mean, the plus being if I have to relocate for a job somewhere, we can just hook up, you know, hook the trailer up to a truck and just tow our entire fucking house and just move somewhere and just get on the road and go. So I think we're actually making a lot of um, plans like it's actually becoming a reality right now. So we're doing research. We're pricing things out, we're, you know, getting information on what you need to do, and I think we're going to be, we're going to be living that lifestyle pretty soon, my friend. Hmm,
0: this is very fascinating to me. Why so? Uh, Just because I feel like the tiny home adventure is, it's like one of those things you hear about people doing, but you don't actually know anybody who does it, and... If that becomes the case, then you'll be able to give us all the ins and outs of how living in a tiny home, what that's like. I will fill you in for sure. You can say you know
1: somebody, but I don't think it's going to be that big of a leap for us because our apartment is not huge. So we've been living in this place for a long time. And, you know, we're in I mean, it's not like tiny. It's not a studio or anything, but like it's, a you know, it's a small apartment. And we have things really well set up to where we're taking the most advantage of all the space that we have. We have like you know, cabinets where cabinets don't usually go. And we store things, you know, we get clever and we make little shelves here and there. And so we're like using like every inch of the space that we have. And we spend all our time together anyway. Like Gina and I are together 24-7 um, if I'm not working. And Witty is with us as well. So we're very close. We're very used to being in close quarters and being with each other all the time. And I, I haven't done a ton of like research as far as watching TV shows go because there's a number of TV shows you can watch about this. And from what little I've gleaned, it seems like the biggest transition people have is like, they don't, they're not used to spending so much time with their family. And so we spend all of our time together. So that's totally not going to be a hurdle we need to get over. And also, we live a fairly stripped down lifestyle. We're not very ostentatious. So it's like, we don't have a million things to get rid of, or, you know, like, I just, I just honestly, like, maybe I'm, I mean, maybe I'm dreaming here, but I just, I don't feel like it would be that big of a switch. I mean, a little less space than we have, but otherwise everything would be basically the same, I think. I mean, that's kind of how I feel. Maybe I'd be wrong. (laughs) Maybe I would have some, you know, maybe I would have some harsh learning lessons later on, but I don't feel like it would be that big of a difference because we're basically kind of living that lifestyle. Um, But we'll see. We'll see. I mean, but I think that's what we're going to do. If I end up having to travel the country for work, I would rather do that. And uh, I would rather bring the family with me so we can travel as a group. And uh, yeah, I I don't know. We're kind of leaning that
0: way. So we're making moves on that. Hmm. Well, I'm sure that you will keep us posted as you guys continue down this path, and I'm definitely interested in knowing how the transition goes, should it come to that, so uh, yeah, this is exciting.
1: Yeah, nothing else, man, we'll haul down there, we'll park in your front front yard,
0: and uh, <laughs> we can just
1: kind of chill you guys for a while, too.
0: I mean, we've got like a little, it's like a little strip of grass in front of the house, I don't know if your house will you fit go. on it, but uh, maybe you can just set her down and hang out. <laughs>
1: There you go. Put a little reserve sign on that grass and wait for us. We're on the way. We'll be down there.
0: So I can't <laughs> imagine the, the idea of driving from almost the northwest corner of the United States all the way to almost the southeast corner of the United States. Sounds like it would be the worst. It does. It does
1: sound <laughs> like it would be the worst. I have said before that I hate road trips. I can't stand driving. I don't like to do that. But I think that if I was able to bring my entire family and my house with me, like it might alleviate some of that discomfort because i don't like i don't like leave my stuff behind i don't like not having the comforts of home and i certainly don't like traveling without my family so i think this might be a good uh i don't know way to solve all those problems while still having the unpleasantness of driving but it would make it a little bit better so we'll see we'll see we're not to that stage yet but that's i we're definitely very very seriously considering it and i think that's probably what we're gonna end up doing so there you go you heard it here first
0: (laughs) all right well i don't have anything else for banter um do you have any other topics no man i'm good we should uh we should talk about some games i think all right let's talk about some games